You're listening to the Opie and Anthony channel on Sirius XM. The Ron and Fez show starts. Come on. Now!
Okay, let's get down to it, Bopper. Our buddies, on Ron Fez show on a Wednesday, short porch week, Pixies, artists of the day, Pixies, one of those bands people heard and then started their own bands. Blew people's minds when they heard. Well, of the few people that heard them when they first were around. Uh, you know, I always hear that, but, you know, they were... Pretty uh, well. I'm not saying it, no. They were never mainstream, but uh, they were uh, same as like Husker Du and all those kind of bands. Actually, REM probably didn't even get big until the '90s, late '80s, early '90s. They were part of the college rock, right? The the college rock explosion. Yeah. Speaking of which, probably cover this in a little bit with Adam Doritz uh, as he steps in here. From the Counting Crows, they're out on the uh, road with the Wallflowers. I gotta get somebody on 5,000 every day. That's gotta be the new thing that we assign somebody that. So, uh, I got it, Chris. Thanks. We're just uh, dropping the ball quite a bit. All except for young Shelby. Who's seems to be uh, the the bullet kid? He's a hot shot. I'll give him that title. <laughs> He's got two boxes up this week. Hello. He's in the box score. He's like one of those guys. Like he's the young writer on Saturday Night Live, and he came up with Hans and Franz this first week. He's just like, I don't know whether this makes sense. <laughs> uh, we got Hans and Franz. The kind of like Schwarzenegger. Um, we should run with it. That's their kid. That's our Shelb. And so many people were saying yesterday. His voice I'm starting to get used to. All right, so Pixies are the artists of the day. Adam Doritz of the County Crows uh, will be on the show later. We'll do a first responders. How about this? Signed August and everything after. One of those albums that... Uh, Jesus. You know, so many 90s people obsess upon that album. And that was one of those... They were one of those bands... Oh, all of a sudden, there's this little band. You hear they might have a record coming out. Then they're doing Van Morrison's um, tribute on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And then like a week or two later, they're on Saturday Night Live. And then you hear uh, that they've got an album out. It's like they were doing big stuff before the album at least even uh, took off. Um, all right, so it's 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Now, by the way, I say all this stuff, and it probably doesn't feel like that when it happens to you. You don't feel like, hey, we came here from nowhere. Generally, you feel like you've worked for a living. But to the other people, you're just like, no. Oh. So everything is uh, is on. Here's uh, Corey. You're on the Run Fez Show. Hey, good morning, guys. Afternoon. Yeah. I guess uh, my wife was telling me yesterday, Cuomo's looking to pass a bill to have New York State residents 
give their DNA up to the state. And the reasoning for it is they look at it like nothing different than fingerprints, and they say they can solve some crimes possibly by doing that. What do you guys think? Do you think that's a little infringing? Well, they don't have my fingerprints already, right. so... Yeah, yeah, they don't have them unless you have a criminal record, so I don't see how this is any... Uh, I'll send him my DNA in jizz. <laughs> Here's a big mayonnaise jar filled with jizz. Just save it up. No, drink it, and then see if it tastes like the other DNA that you've found. I don't know. You know, uh, science and law, like, science is going like a bat out of hell, and, of course, law drags its feet. That's the point of laws to really go over them and decide but the science aspect of it, I mean, I, who would have uh, told me that you would look over and Chris Stanley would be just happily sucking on a piece of plastic throughout the show? Mm, it's good. And now you love it better than cigarettes. It, it's, it's getting up there, man. It's just I'm just sitting around just enjoying this at work. Where if I was had a cigarette, I would be tackled and dragged out of here. Do you? I don't know if I say smoke it. I guess suck on it in the hall yet. Yeah, I, I was yesterday after yeah. the show, just hanging out. I'm the computers with it hanging out of my mouth, and some new intern is like staring at me like I'm a weirdo. See, I like the idea of you do that for a while, and then finally you light up cigarettes and people get used to it again. I think it's a way of getting people uh, back in to understand that uh, cigarettes um, are your friends. Um, all right, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ, 866 Ron, zero fez. Send me Shelby the kid in. Shelby. Shelby! 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 Okay, buddy, okay, okay. Shelby! Shelby, baby. Hey, what's happening, dude? What's up? You say you're the new hot hand, the Hans and Franz kid. You're the yep. breakout intern. We all we always were waiting to see who it was going to be. Ends up being Shelby. Nasty. I don't even think we've had an intern jump out to this kind of opening before. Been like, out of the gate. In like four days. This was your fourth day actually here for a full day. It's crazy. Yep. Humble. Locked and loaded. Listen to him. He's Mr. Energy. <laughs> we got to do a thing where we shoot him out of a cannon. Oh, that'd be great. Well, he fought for it. He fought to get in here. He did. And he's, he's proven that it was worth it. But, you know, we ought to get around to thanking Rob, who I haven't seen this whole week. By uh, the way, Jason's has some uh, Pixie stuff to bring up to us. Hey, Jason, you're on the Run of Fez show. Thanks, man. Uh, I just wanted to say, on, I saw this on Facebook that Pixies have a, starter, a Kickstarter going, and they're doing like a whole photo album of their entire career. And if you uh, go on Kickstarter and buy one, I think they're like 75 bucks for a huge coffee table uh, book. Uh, you get a signed copy by Black Francis and your name in the book. Yeah, they've already raised 175000 for this. Um, basically, what they're doing is selling the book before they print it. And I, who took these photographs, Chris? Uh, well, it's... Um, I think so it's like photographers, like a bunch of different people? Yeah, from like their various... This is from throughout the years. See, the guys here's my thing for Shelby. I want Shelby to get away from comedy and become a rock photographer. <laughs> I just, you've got to be backstage taking those pictures of Keith while he's passing out. I could finagle my way back to Taylor Swift show or something. You know what? Shelby's brought back the flat top, too, which is interesting. 
<laughs> no one else has thought about that in a while. Love his hairstyle. Do you really? Oh, yeah. Sounds like somebody's turning gay. <laughs> <laughs> Not with an intern. Or don't, any other dude. <laughs> don't, don't fuck the interns. That's a, a long, long um, thing in radio. It's one of the few things that you can fuck up with. Yeah, you'll get you'll, you're out of here immediately, right? If, you, yeah. if you're well, it depends on you know how valued you are. <laughs> There's certain people who could probably just be like, dude, pr pr you promised me you weren't going to fuck the interns. I don't even know how to open up this case here. Oh, there it is. I don't get this. Is the whole contraption, huh? Yeah. The whole Issei contraption. Mm-hmm. That's nice and charged. Charged overnight. <laughs> Now, how many uh, things have we started and that stuck with? I wonder if this will be one of those. Well, you know, this being smoking, that's a higher chance of being right. <laughs> What I want to do is when they start to get like, I don't know, like little plastic Coke flakes. Oh, just geez. something where you can enjoy everything. The chopping, the fucking cutting lines. It's just water, vapor, coke. Yeah. And then you snort it and it just vapors. It just vapors down your nostrils. This clears your sinuses out. Mm -hmm. It just helps. It just gives you that coke thing without all the gackiness. Officer, please. It's water vapor. Play what is this? Huh? 1989? You don't understand? I'm just snorting water vapor. Actually, you would always want to snort a little water and make sure you knocked everything down. I shouldn't be talking about that with Doc Gooden walking around. I don't want to get him back on the bad side. But is there anyone who you ever run into in life that says, you know who I don't like? Doc Gooden. Everybody loves him. I had a Doc Gooden action figure when I was younger, when I was like a real youngster. Loved it. That's a hell of an uh, um, action figure. Oh, hell yeah. When did you get it? 85, 86? I don't know. It was. I remember having. I think it was. I think it was later eighties. Probably when things were <laughs> not working out so well for them. <laughs> I remember the first time I came into New York. Um, well, like on my own, and it was in the eighties. So I'm cruising in a town which is already nuts. When you're not, you you grew up here, Hicks. So you're not used to the point counterpoint. But Shelby, you know what I'm talking about. The first time you roll into New York, yeah. and you're like, fuck. <laughs> I feel like I'm lost and about to be, you know, uh, swept away in this whole thing. So I come into the tunnel and I'm heading towards uh, Times Square. And there's this giant sign that has to be on the side of a building, 12, 18 stories. And it's Doc Gooden. And at the time, he's like 19, 20 years old. And I'm like, that's going to go to his head. That's going to fuck him up. Because it was like already overwhelming for me to be in New York, and there wasn't a giant sign of me. You know what I mean? And I'm like, I don't know how he's going to be able to handle this. And, uh, yeah, he couldn't. It's too much. People don't realize you get so uh, young. Uh, let's face it, like Shelby's done with his, you know, coming on here gangbusters, and it all starts to fuck up on you. Shelby, I don't want you on the pipe. Okay. All right. I'll I'll stand and straight and narrow. Be your mentor. It'll be my responsibility. Mike, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, Ronnie B, a million bucks. Yeah. Um, if I do recall, there was another darling intern with a polarizing voice on this channel many years ago. I believe his name is Sam Roberts, professional broadcaster. Do you think that Shelb Silverstein has it in him to become the Ron and Fez show's 
answer to Sam Roberts? The thing is, Shelby actually makes Sam sound loud and deep. Yeah. Because <laughs> Shelby not only has kind of a high voice, but he also just doesn't have the energy to finish the sentence. And he just trails <laughs> away. So it'll be like, yeah, it's doing a bit of working on the thing. What? And he's just like, oh, that little piece of paper is blowing off into the wind. If Sam had sex, could be Shelby's dead. Because Sam is old now. Oh, he's he's getting up there. And the problem with Sam is, it turned out, as much as we all thought things were heading his way, his career is a disappointment. I put him in the Chris Stanley pile. What? Oh, don't worry. I've been in that pile. <laughs> I was actually taken out of the good pile and put uh, in that pile. So, all right. So it's just called the Chris Stanley pile. Oh, you should see. Yeah. Well, we're going to name it after the most famous person. Like when Jack White, they named that theater after him this week. As they should have. As the Detroit's Masonic Temple. I love it. Most more things should be named after the guy. For $145,000, he got a theater named after him. It's worth it. He's got that White Stripes money. And beyond, he's got rock and tour money that, nobody, that he hasn't even touched yet. <laughs> um, here's Mark. Mark, you're on the Run of Fest show. Bonnie. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm a 54-year-old guy, and uh, you can have the Counting Crows uh, fell on there. Fella. And my music taste is in the early 70s, but in the mid-90s, early mid-90s, you had a lot of great bands that came out. And uh, the Counting Crows, one of them, uh, Blind Melon, uh, Jim Blossoms, it just seemed like it was a... Like a burst of great bands that came yeah, out. Yeah, there, there really was. There really was. I mean, you, you talk about the grunge bands, but at the same time, there was a lot of other bands happening, a lot of cool tours at the same time. And it felt like rock was going to be saved at that time, before Shelby's generation came along and yelled out Creed for no apparent reason. Nickelback. Rap Thank rock. You. <laughs> the later 90s. Just took a shit all over. Well, first you loved the English um, Britpop thing for a while. Oh yeah, that, that was that was a nice. So it felt like okay, Britpop is now on top, and then after that, it started to look pretty shitty. Yeah. And then Once... finally, you're jacking off the boy bands. <laughs> I, I never masturbated to any boy bands. Never. Chris. Yeah. I'll come in here with evidence if I have to. <laughs> <Good> God. <laughs> <laughs> Your Honor, I bring in this beach towel. <laughs> Tested. Covered in stains. <laughs> um, right, what is this thing that you put up? Cinemagraphs? Uh, GIFs of the future, Shelby? Yeah, on the uh, cinemagraphs are a new thing. They're going around the internet really in the past couple years. Um, they're kind of like a GIF, but uh, dare I say more beautiful. Oh, Whoa. he's yeah. brought a sense of poetry to the show that we've never had before. All right, what's the first one from? What's this? Uh, well, the ones we have in the iBang, they are examples from film. You know, ones that people are familiar with a lot that they we've talked about on the show before. The first one, uh, just to explain what a cinemagraph is. It's uh, a photograph that's just like taken a bunch of times, and they animate like a part of it so for example in this first one from Sid and Nancy Sid Vicious is lying on the bed but you see the fire like animated 
in the background. As now, it, this would make a great like picture for your house. This I can awesome. definitely see that happening in the future, where like a family takes like a portrait in front of a, like a stream, or they have like somebody's hair blowing, and it's just a giant. I'm gonna pick Chris for that. Thank you, because he's got Indian hair. <laughs> Both Eastern and Western Indians. Second one, Inglorious Bastards, that famous interrogation scene between Christoph Waltz and Brad Pitt. And he's pouring him a glass of wine and uh, the continuous swirling in the glass. The best cinemagraphs, like you cannot tell where um, it starts and stops, like where it loops. It's just like a oh, continuous okay. thing going. It helps if it's like uh, a natural kind of thing, like fire or water, that it could just like flow in like a stream or something. It looks nice. All right, these are up on the iBangs. If you want to go take a look at it, um, Chris, this should become your new hobby. That you're just totally into collecting these. Yeah, these things are amazing. These look really great. They make gifs look like dirty. All right, garbage. what's the Catwoman one do though? Because I just see her sitting there. It's the snow in the background, there. I'm not getting it on mine. I have the shittiest slow computer. So mine just looks like just a still. Oh, it's, it's snowing back there, though. It's nuts. And there's apps, actually, for iPhone, I'm assuming for Android users, too, where you can make your own cinemagraphs. Having Chris, let's start make our own cinemagraphs. I'm going to look for an app. Well, let's do it off of TV shows. Like, I want something from Two and a Half Men. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to hit some on Big Bang Theory. That fucking show was so funny because even though they're smart, yeah. they have trouble socially because they're nerds. Like they don't know how to interact with people. Yeah, they're not good with girls. Are they autistic? Kind of. One of them definitely <laughs> is. And then the other two ones are geeks. All right. There's like, a hot girl, like, oh, they shouldn't be hanging out with yeah, her. Yeah, what are they what's, doing? What's they're nerds. What's wrong? Yeah. They're nerds. <laughs> Let's get them. <laughs> we should. We should do a new thing where we form like a pack of guys to punch nerds. <laughs> that could be an episode of Big Bang Theory where they all get beaten and robbed and put in the hospital. <laughs> and then they spend their time really afraid that the guys are going to come back and do it again. But, and, but that chick, their hot neighbor, starts dating the guys that beat the hell out of them. They could drop out of school, end up just, you know, ending up in the gutter. I like to kill Bill Cinemagraph. Uh, it looks like uh, Queen Elizabeth sent us a link about a building that collapsed in the center city of uh, Philadelphia. 22nd Market Streets. For some reason, we don't have that up on the iBang yet. I gotta keep Queen Elizabeth on top of everything here. Um... Here's Chris, MPA. You're on the Ron Fez Show. Hey, guys, if you can pull out the opening credits of the show, Rectify, that was on Sundance right after uh, Top of the Lake ended. Yeah. The opening credits, when they introduce each character, each one, I believe, is what is a cinemagraph. I can't see what you guys I don't watch that Rectify. Was it good? It's awesome. Fuck, I can't keep up with shit. You know what? I, I actually watched a comedy on regular TV last night. That I would go so far as to say it made me sad. What? Yeah. What? Which one? It was called Identity Theft. So it's got uh, Michael Bluth and the big girl from uh, Bridesmaids. Jason Bateman and um, 
It was very uh, cruel to her. I know it got really bad reviews, but they said she was like saved the movie. That's I she got seen hit it. in the face with it <laughs> over and over. Like he was actually fist fighting her, <laughs> and then smashed her in the back of the head with a guitar. He's and a, I'm like, this is like seeing abuse in a way. I know in one one in the trailer they said they like killed the homeless guy for pants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if it happened. I think that's live. Uh, Brian, St. Louis. Hey, Ron. Uh, yeah. Todd Barry, your, your new interview, uh, intern? Young Todd Barry, we call him. I like it. He's the best thing I've heard in a long time on the radio. You guys are doing a great job. Well, it's all hey. about Shelby. Thanks, yeah, caller. <laughs> Didn't hey, get your name. <laughs> Come on, Let's yeah. just call him Brian. You got to pay right. attention, Shelby. But hey, if you don't catch someone's name, don't put the focus <laughs> on that. Just make up a name. Like, I never say to Chris, like, I forget who you are. I know you're around here. I know you're around here a lot. Every day. Because I saw you at Pips. Are you Pips's dad or brother? How old do I look? I'd say 60. Jesus. I gotta make I'm some sure that isn't your original liver. <laughs> nope. Still, it's OG. You have to be careful socially like that, Shelby. Like, you can't be saying to Chris, I smell something <laughs> bad coming from you. It smells like maybe it's your crotch. Or is it maybe something from your ass that leaked down there? Oh, God. Yeah, Shelby. Stop that. Maybe we got to send him away to one of those manor schools <laughs> like they had back in the 1940s. Yeah. Teach him to walk with a fucking book on his head. Shelby, you want to start smoking e-cigarettes? If it'll make me seem cooler, sure. I'm very easily persuaded. We'd like to smoke a D-cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> Got me there. <laughs> Got me there. Just walking around sucking on a dildo all day. Oh, and God. say, look, I have this because I can't suck dick at work. Vibrating. <laughs> Ow, my teeth. <laughs> um, John, go ahead, buddy. Hey, Ronnie, I, I, you've turned us on that show, that Top of the Lake, and uh, so I watched it, and I heard that guy bring up that rectifier. I can't believe you hadn't seen it yet. That show is great. Um, I fucking fell out. I wanted to see it. I forgot all about it. But, you know, luckily we live in a world of on, on demand, and I'll go back and catch up. And maybe watch that in the wire at the same time. Well, it's like that Top catch of the Lake. It's it. only got like six episodes, so you, you, you run through it pretty fast. I'll do it in the afternoon. All right, thanks. I had a email sent to me about some thank yous and bringing up another thing, but I don't have it in front of me now. Um, Sean, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, Ronnie. Hey, I wondered if uh, Fezzy was trying to do a chip impression there. I don't know. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Um... Shelby's in here with us today. He is the breakout intern and uh, his cinemagraphs, which I know Shelby thinks it's the thing of the future, but I think it's got like a 1930s look about it. Yeah. I think I it's like something like when people first used to think something like remember like the turn of the century they had those kind of postcards that you would look through the kinescope or whatever. That's it. Kinescope. They have they have a few of those over at the uh, Museum of the Modern Image. 
moving image, excuse me, in uh, Queens. And uh, it's just old-timey stuff. It's pretty funny. You crank it, and then just you see like a guy walking on the street. Oh, it's just a bunch of pictures that go as you crank it, you mean? Well, it's one of them, yeah. And then uh, it's, it's pretty cool just to see. Yeah, that was like the original things that they put out. Have you ever heard of, like the term Nickelodeon? Oh, yeah. Well, that's what they would have, and you would go in there... And you would put like a nickel in, and people thought they were watching a movie just by watching a bunch of pictures spin fast. I noticed that like quick sequence in Django and Chain where the one lady like looks through one; it looks almost three D. And then, like, oh yeah, 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 he shoots that guy. Like, well, who, somebody came in with a bunch of those. Remember, uh, Brian May. Brian May from Queen has the biggest collection of those in the world. I want to say it's called a Dagoro type or something like that. Stereoscopic. Stereoscopic, not Digoro type. I don't <laughs> oh, you, you just you just dropped I mean, down a notch. Maybe if we were in Look Hungary, <laughs> maybe if we there. were in Hungary, Digoro type. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just that's crazy talk, man. Come on, get to my Digoro type. We're not former Soviet bloc. Fucking just drinking vodka, watching our Digoro types. <laughs> Almost time to get back on the bread line. I want to say it's called a vagina <laughs> lip, but I'm not sure if that's it. Malibia? <laughs> you look everything up on Google, but there's one thing that you couldn't look up. And you're, you're, He's <laughs> fucking right. You treat him like shit. I fucking can point it out the obvious. Oh, please. I'm all over it. I'm all over it. I'm nasty. You do everything else until he asks you for something. <laughs> He's fucking comfortable with you. Yeah, maybe a bit too much. I try to offer him an e-cigarette. Yeah. Throw his back in my face. We got to get a baby seat so when you and I take a road trip, we can keep him right <laughs> in between us. And I'll be like this. I'll be driving. I'm like, Chris, you get him to sleep yet? <laughs> Give me more, some more whiskey. We could just call our fucking... Make a TV show and call it Two and a Half Bears. And it's just like... <laughs> Two bears that are raising what they hope to be will be another bear, except for he's a little too thin and hairless. He's coming out twinkish. <laughs> Worried about him. We don't have twinks in our family. We're straight bears! We'll get him hair plugs for his chest. We'll do the entire show from uh, Yellowstone National Park. Perfect. It's beautiful. It is a running fair show. Uh, we did mention big giveaway later today. Assigned August and everything after by Adam uh, Duritz. So be ready for that, first responders. Bring it. <laughs> What's so funny? <laughs> I don't need your goddamn laugh in the background. <laughs> it really just you yelling, bring it, bring means it. that you had nothing, and he figured <laughs> it out. I got it all. You wanted to be on the show, but you really had nothing to I add. Got, at Counting Crows, I got I it mean, all. I mean, you were seriously only slightly uh, ahead of if you would have yelled out, whoop de doo all right, If you look up on CNN, there's that building collapse. Ten people trapped? The fire commissioner is saying between eight and ten people are trapped. <clears throat> Jesus, that's awful. While they're trapped, Chris Stanley can read this right here. What's this? The daguerreotype was the first commercially successful photograph process invented around 1837. See, I don't care because we were talking about Brian May's work. 
So your point is moot, and I don't give well, a fuck. Well, it's not a made-up word. I just wanted to get that point across. He made Good you look like a fucking dick on your own show. I am a dick, so that's okay. I want you two to be close, but I can see that there's some tension right oh, now. Oh, very much so. Trouble in paradise. Was it ever paradise in the first place? Felt like it there for a couple <laughs> minutes. I'm trying to look over uh, some of these things. The double bloom attraction sticker. The garbage garbage word is what that is. Mm. I know you can you can alter Wikipedia entries, so I want to put that. All right, if you had to pick your favorite, what is it? Sid and Nancy. I like the one with just the the fucking water coming down though. I really um, like the Catwoman. It's like a futuristic snow globe. The the tech noir thing, where there's just water coming all around them. They are pretty stunning. And the weird thing is, why? Just because you stop some of it? Yeah, messes with your head. All right, I got an email last night. I was actually. So I jumped right on this. Uh, Puff wrote to me and said, there's a doc on Netflix called Side by Side about the end of film as we're switching over to different uh, type of things. And cinema is no longer going to be shot on film. And it started happening slow, but now it's more and more and more and what we give up and what we're getting. Kind of seems a little sad to me. It's weird. The first person I heard shooting on digital like, for like a, a film that did really well was Danny Boyle when he did that zombie movie. He like, comes up in this and Danny talks oh, about oh. it. And he oh, wow. goes like this. I hope Chris Stanley doesn't steal my thunder, but I'm, not I'm the motherfucker who did this. <laughs> well, he copied it from uh, a couple of other dudes that didn't get as popular. And he went over and got their cinematographer because he loved the fact that you could basically just put a camera on your shoulder that was the first time that the camera could improvise, right? So before that, you had to have set-up shots, lighting, and after that, the camera could just move around during improvised scene like the actors can move around. I know Steven Soderbergh, when he made that movie with that porn star, he to make it on a cheap, he used that red camera. That's yeah, what it's called, digital. the whole big thing came about the red camera. Yeah. And that was the guy who... Uh, start the Oakley's company, then start the red camera. What? And then this was great. As he's being interviewed, like he's like, we just wanted the technology to catch up with film. And we, you know, the whole time he's doing it, he's wearing fucking Oakley's. <laughs> of course he is. And you're like, even you don't look good in your own glasses. Because <laughs> you ever notice any time in your life you've ever worn Oakley's, someone's done like a wrestler joke about you? <laughs> You just can't get around it. Wrestlers and baseball players always wearing Oakleys. Yeah, a lot of baseball players. And then baseball players wear those stupid things around their... Oh, the metal thing? The, yeah. Uh, magnetic? Like somehow is going to make their blood better. Ironized or better. I just want to see one outfielder wear a pair of aviators. Just, just to mix it up a little bit. It just doesn't happen that way. Uh, one of the things coming up on the iBank today is about how much smokers cost their employers by going outside and smoking. Uh, that that's that's ridiculous. 
Why? People used to be able to smoke at their desk and save money for their employers. Yeah, so it's uh, 5800 bucks is what they figured out was the average uh, guy, a person who smokes costs their employer. Some of that is in healthcare costs, but the vast majority of it is because it's about five smoke breaks a day is what they said was the average a smoker's taking. I think five's a little high. I'm up to about maybe three. Well, you don't work an eight-hour day, though, in a fucking cubicle, so you might want—you might really need to get out more. <laughs> well, I do smoke two at a time when I do take my break. Um, that's weird. That you will spend how much time out there? Uh, between eight and ten minutes. I could smoke two cigarettes pretty quickly. And then another 10 minutes. Well, actually, the elevators here should, are, should be uh, is what's docking people's cash since it took me 15 minutes to get up today in the morning because of NBC. I went all the way to the top and then all of a sudden just like went all the way to the bottom again. Yeah, it's going to happen. Sometimes the floors, lights just go off it just, and then it just goes right back down to the bottom. You're right, Shelby. It's inconvenient. Not a... <laughs> Yeah. Hmm. But I'll tell you this, because we don't work in an office, so we don't know what our regular day is like, but I have to go talk to people in their offices all the time. And I've never interrupted them, them working. <laughs> I've interrupted conversations that they were having with co-workers. I've interrupted them playing some kind of video game or listening to music. But I've never come in and had the person go, I'm working on this right now. Because most work is just conversations. Why aren't you having a conversation if you're out smoking? Uh, and you can take your cell phone with you. I do it. I'll be on the phone, smoking up. Like, Do you know one person here who you would say that person works hard? I see Liam running around a lot. That's the old Liam. New Liam is just cynical. <laughs> and, angry. Yeah, angry. And let's face it, he's being pulled along by the Leeds boat. Spencer's, uh, one, Spencer kills it. Really? <laughs> I see him on the intern computers a lot. I know he's supposed to have an a answer for us by one today. Yeah, by one. He gave a deadline. To himself. Yeah. He goes, you know what? I'm going to do some work by one. All right, you're going out of your way to prove me a liar. Yes, Liam works hard. Yes, Spencer works hard. You know what? Everybody works hard. It's out of that. Ron's a fucking liar. You know what? I'm glad you're here, Shelby, because I've had it with Chris Stanley trying to prove me wrong about everything. He used to be Pepper Keat, and now he's just trying to fucking be the stick in Ronnie B's spokes. I ain't trying to be no stick in the mud. Oh, my spokes are mud now. You fucking believe that? <laughs> January Jones topless picks. Now I'm not familiar with her because I don't watch Mad Men. You're a big fan, Chris? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, her character. Oh, sorry, those are that's nice. Not safe for work. <laughs> not yeah, it's not work. safe for work. That's her titties out. <laughs> I'm gonna use a blunt word here: titties. You can see her nipples too. Yeah, and they're hard. That's <laughs> well, nice. She also has a kid in out of out of wedlock. 
who and she refuses to say the father is, which I like. So everyone assumes it's just some like famous dude who's married. I just want to know to the listeners if it annoys you how much we're smoking on the air now. If you just hear this the whole day. Does that get annoying at all? Mm. I think I would like it if I was listening. Yeah, it's a nice hissing sound. <laughs> and you're like, like that? You know what's going I, I would be screaming, uh-oh, they're going to be bit by snakes. <laughs> Nothing wrong with it. Shelby, you don't have a girlfriend right now? Nope. I think I need to try to find you one. Try to get Molly and invest it. Can't do it. She's afraid that it'll kill her. <laughs> Can you help make her think that you're not going to kill her? No, he's, he's got to go with a girl who wants to be killed. <laughs> Craigslist, then. It's probably the best way to go. We're going to put you on as a twink on Craigslist. Let you kill some rich gays. <laughs> yeah. Bank it up, dude. That whole building just fell down until there's nothing left in Philadelphia. Just sticks. I would fucking immediately question the big bad wolf. <laughs> Did that, uh, your parents didn't read you stories like that, right? No. I remember my parents read me The Big Bad Wolf. You know what I said? Bullshit. There's no fucking mammal can huff and puff <laughs> and blow down someone's house. I don't know where you're getting this garbage from. <laughs> Who wrote this book? National Enquirer? <laughs> Fuck out of my room. I mean, <laughs> First of all, I thought this was a private place for me. <laughs> I don't think adults should ever be in a kid's room under any circumstances. <laughs> you got to give them a little safety in the world, you know? This has got to be my place. I wouldn't feel safe with my own. In this, in a, or with my, if I had children, I wouldn't feel safe with them, being alone with them. I'd have to have someone you, else. You're afraid you'd blow them. <laughs> no, I just, I just don't like children. You know what might be safer for you? Mm -hmm. Have a girl. <laughs> oh, See what I did there? Made it seem not, like you're a big not, crazy gay. I'm not gay. <laughs> Why are you afraid to be with a little boy in his room? I'm afraid to be with a little girl, too. I just don't like being around children. But what do you think you're going to do to them? I don't know. I just don't have like sex being... with them. No, I don't want to have sex with them. Kids. Maybe you think you're going to get drunk and fall on them. <laughs> <laughs> you would tell them, leave that door open. Yeah. Let's make, let's make sure everyone's safe and everyone knows what's happening right now. Jerry, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, Jerry. Yeah. Hey, I had a quick question for you guys. Just uh, wondering if we can get Roland in the room and have him and Shelby just have a really long conversation and see how many listeners will kill themselves. It's a great idea, Jer. What can I say? So you started so strong. And then what can I say? <laughs> it almost is like every conversation falls into a nap with him. Got to get them on air, run a Red Bull or something? Um... I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm all right. <laughs> I have a Red Bull. Or at least an E-Red Bull. Oh, man. I love Red Bull. Or you're Bull. just drinking vapor out of a can and feeling great about it. I like analog Red Bulls. You're an analog man. I really am, yeah. Well, now I'm, I'm, I'm torn between two worlds. The yeah. digital cigarette and the analog cigarette. You know what we got to find you? What's that? Analog girl. Love that song. Of course you love that song. It's the greatest song that's ever been done in the history of fucking time.
<laughs> you seriously are fucking high today. <laughs> Look, every day is a good day to listen to Analog Man. Hey, uh, Julie, Julie in Queens, how you doing? Hey, what's going on, guys? None of your goddamn business, Julie. All right, cool. <laughs> All right, I want to rename Shelby. Oh, nice. Is it okay? Sure. How about Baby Buscemi? Oh, I like that a lot. Yeah. All right, cool. That's all I called for. I don't mind that. Well, what about okay. we just call you Chet after his <laughs> character in um, Barton Fink? Remember? My name is Chet. <laughs> I'll write it down for you. Chet. My name is Chet, and if you need anything, just ask for me. Chet. <laughs> <laughs> I liked the smaller the part with him, uh, the more I liked him. Like, I liked when he was Eddie Dane's boy. Oh, yeah. He's, uh, he's awesome. Love Eddie Dane. Love his fucking love his posse. I don't know if I've ever seen Eddie Dane do anything since then. Oh, he was in Go as Jimmy Schubert's dad. Oh yeah. Yeah. I just need to get more work. Oh, Jimmy Schubert? Hey, Dane's boy. Oh. I was hoping we were pulling for Shuby. I gotta say hi to my uh Oh, before, I got Janice, but first, Stephen Philly wants to give me a spy report. Spy report. Spy report. Spy report. Steve, what do you got, buddy? Hey there, Ronnie. Yeah. Um, it's now being reported here as a uh, explosion, not a collapse. What the hell happened, dude? I don't know. I'm still trying to get all the info. They're, I think they evacuated some stuff around there because they were worried about another explosion following what, it. What kind of business took place in that building? Uh, you know, I don't know. It's changed a lot around there. They built a giant, like, luxury high-rise, but it's surrounded by, like, old porn theaters and stuff. So. All right, so it's got a little bit of everything for everybody. Yeah, I think Cole Hamels lives in the, in the high-rise they built. Don't tell me Cole Hamels involved in this somehow. Oh, no. I don't know. He's having a bad year. Maybe he's taking out on the building across the street. Yeah, everybody's having a fucking bad year down there. <laughs> All right, man. Peace. Craziness. Fix, I want you to stay all over this. Don't treat me like I'm Shelby, but stay on fucking Google on this for me. Oh, no. I'm all over it. Every news story is following it. Um, all right, here's my buddy, Janice. Janice. Hi, Ronnie. I just, uh, I'm digging the smoking. <laughs> good. I'm glad that you are. All right, good feedback. <laughs> my, uh... My cousins, though, smoke them, and they're, like, kind of burned out. <laughs> like, uh, their daughter gave them to them because they want them to stop smoking, but they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> you you feel like your cousins are burnout stuff? <laughs> oh, and, you know, tell Shelby, Carol Shelby made one of the best muscle cars ever made. That's true. And, uh... Not to change his story. <laughs> no, that's... And he says his... Uh, that's exactly what his penis looks like. <laughs> right, yeah? He calls his penis a muscle car, which he probably shouldn't. <laughs> All right, sweet girl. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Who's nicer than Janice? She's the best. I'm going to go to this call, but I have a feeling... Just from what I can see, I have a feeling that it's a crank call. PJ in D.C. Hey, what's up, Ronnie? I was wrong. Oh. 
Oh, I'm just letting you know, I vape all day as I listen to you guys. I'm actually sent you all a package of their cigar-like pieces for you, sir. Also some stuff for Pepper Hicks. Well, here's what I like, and we didn't know what to call it. You vape. All right, yeah. We didn't know we were vaping. You're vaping, sir. And all right. If you need any help, let me know. I know more about it than most people do. All right. Thanks, uh, PJ. Oh, sir. Peace. Peace out. I'd love to quit smoking. We're just a couple of vapors. Turn in Japanese. <laughs> didn't they do uh, that song? Yeah. Great. All right, let's put that on like it's the analog in the fucking 80s. <laughs> <laughs> and vape at home if you want to during this. this shit. Alright. Uh, people keep us up to date on the building collapsing or blowing up in Philadelphia. Right in Center City. Very, very strange. Looks like they're saying the building that collapsed was next to another building that was set for demolition. So you're saying something fucked up? That's what that's what it seems like from that uh, headline on CNN. That could happen. Philly, <laughs> Shelby. There's no like other like girl interns around here that you got your eye on. Some of those hall girls. I don't think there's as many interns walking around the building as there normally is. I haven't noticed too many new, new interns. But then again, on, on yesterday I saw them interviewing a bunch of new interns, or, or bringing in a whole, a whole other set of interns, so maybe... As I like to get by. a couple of them. I like to have this place just fucking chuck-filled with them. I know Bar had his eyes set in some blonde that was chatting up earlier. Is Whoa. that right? See, fucking Bar's a stud. And unlike you, he's outgoing. Definitely. <laughs> Where you're like, timid. Bar's like, hey, it's a fucking numbers game, dude. One of these interns got to say yes. This is like swingers, and you're the fucking guy who couldn't get any pussy till the end of the movie, but then he gets a really fucking hot chick. Hell yeah. Let's face it, Boz Vince Vaughn. You're not going to get around that. <laughs> Don't worry, though. And then he's interning at Google. Heather Graham was in your future. Something about that Heather Graham, huh? Yeah. Quite attractive. I think if you were dating Heather Graham, you would probably be saying this. I don't know. Why don't we just stay in and fuck? You know what I mean? Like, I don't really feel like going out. We should never leave this room. Yeah. <laughs> um, Heather, I had a great idea for this weekend. Doggy style. <clears throat> no, me on the bottom. I just call it Roller Girl. Uh, Joe. Baltimore. Hey, Pat. What up? Um, 
I want to know if you get just as nervous playing turning Japanese on Ryan Fest. No, no. Why would I? No, I don't know. I thought there might be a puppet nearby. No. <laughs> on the David Max Sports program, there's a puppet called Chinky the Puppet. Jesus. Oh, I was wondering if you'd shout out the show, man. There it goes. Of course finally, they would. Jesus finally Christ. Finally, first fucking time you've ever given that show even the slightest plug. Never. I mean, always. Remember that? Exactly. O also, uh... Remember that time when you said that you preferred your other show more than the Davey Mack one? I remember that. Even though he cut you a nice fat check. Yeah, oh yeah, it was nice, that fat check. Uh, there's... Is that fat with a PH? Yeah. Or an F? No, PH. Because I thought maybe it was just a big, thick... Fat check. <laughs> it was just written on a piece of wood. Uh, there's tickets still available for the Davy Mac uh, movie What do you mean by tickets? Tickets still available. You said tickets. I feel silly then. Still available for the Davy Mac uh, movie thon happening at the Stand NYC Tuesday, June 18th. Let's go to standnyc.com for tickets. It's going to be a fun time. Chris, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey guys, how you doing today? Uh, I hear you guys talking about the electronic cigarettes. So? And, uh, a friend of mine has a store uh, that deals with uh, the electronic cigarettes, the different accessories, and uh, there's a whole big world of it. He has a bunch of different juices, flavors, and things like that for him. For you guys might be interested. Yeah, send us some. Send us uh, some electronic cigars. Yeah, he has them. He has the electronic cigars. Yeah, get them right on it. All right, bring it. All right, uh, if, you, uh, if you guys want to put me on hold. Yeah, I'm going to uh, put you on hold. Bob, take care of this. Make it the best thing that ever fucking happened in history. Don't you screw this up. We're vaping now. And we know that you're fucking chasing chicks up and down the hall. Guy all he cares about is pussy. I mean, come on. I, I, I put a bio together, dude. Come on. He's not like you. He doesn't just care about cock. <laughs> Turned it I around on you. Don't yeah, only I did. care about cock. You see that? Did you notice that? I used a little fucking Akita move on him where I took his what he thought was his strength yeah. and used it against him. <laughs> his love of vagina. No, you actually have a distaste for his vagina. Now you, just, you blamed it on Bob. Now I just look like, like I'm cock hungry all the time. All right, let me ask you this: since you're, <laughs> since you like the pussy so much, right? If Bob had a vagina and so did Shelby, yeah. which one would you bang? I'd bang Shelby. Okay, easily. You did that without thinking, yeah. dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I wanted you at least wrestle with it a little bit. Shelby, take that as a compliment. That means a lot. Good. Good. Oh yeah, I tear you it made up. The, hey, you made the same move that his roommates did. <laughs> <laughs> He's used to it. Um, here's one that's been taken off the shelf for you. Jennifer Love Hewitt uh, now is with child. She knocked. She knocked Massa and seen. Seen. You know what movie? Mandingo. Masa knocked. Uh, she is with child. No idea who the father is. What? No way they do not. I, I should have read the whole article. <laughs> I should Yeah, I should have read the whole article. Because I, I was just about to say, I guess it was a train or gangbang. <laughs> if she was here in New York, she'd know who the father is because we all give our DNA to the governor. They're never going to get my DNA. They have my fingerprints, but they're never going to get my DNA. Why? You leave your jizz all over. Your jizz and shit stains everywhere you go. <laughs> nope. you just, we could probably just scrape any chair in this place and fucking figure out your DNA. No shit, just jizz. <laughs> we could do a horror movie called The Man Who Jizz Shit. Oh, God. 
Why has that been done? That every time that he jizzes, shit comes out, and then you know. Does he? That, does he shit come? Oh, I never went. To, let's wait for the sequel. <laughs> You got an idea for a movie, Shelby? Any idea? It's about a successful radio host. Yeah. He's in an accident. He can't do radio anymore. Mm -hmm. But his co-host is a centaur, takes care of him. (laughs) Really? (laughs) It's like making fun of you. The last scene's like him... Is there a the tiny twink the intern there, too, also, that just fucking talks weird high voice? We could do some rewrites and put that in. That sounds but... like a good plan, then. It's called Not Without My Bennington. That's the title. <laughs> it's fucking embarrassing. And by that part, I might, you called him my co-host and not Fez. <laughs> I would have been fucking humiliated. I probably would have been just sitting over and doing stuff on the on the internet instead of paying attention. Alright, here's one for you. Because I think this would be a great fucking movie. Alright, you're on a jury. And it's a murder trial. Yeah. But you're the only one who knows you're the actual murderer. So shit comes up during the trial. <laughs> Like your shoes get put up there. <laughs> and you have to go, I'm pretty sure that's his shoes. Don't that, you think? That guy's definitely dead. <laughs> just every day. You're saying the other jurors. I wish we could fucking just decide right now. Because I've heard enough. He did it, don't you think? <laughs> just pulling at your tie the whole time. Then he has to defend himself too. Like they're like, oh, they're they're hush puppies. Who the hell still wears those? And like, you know, the, they have their benefits. Like, <laughs> Actually, hush puppies are incredibly comfortable, and a nice side dish if you're down south and enjoying some catfish. Delicious. You a catfish guy? Yeah, I like catfish. It then w- let's start and call you catfish. <laughs> that can be your nickname. <laughs> That's not bad. Uh, Republicans are pissed again at Chris Christie because he's not helping them uh, get an easy Senate win. He's do- you know how the senator down there died, right? No. In Jersey? No. Yeah, they had a senator who died. And the Republicans want to do something with the election so they have a better chance of getting that seat. But Chris Christie looks like he's made it easier for Cory Booker to jump into that spot. And Christie actually said to him, look, I'm not doing what partisan politi- people in partisan politics want. I'm uh, just doing what Bruce Springsteen wants. And then he starts singing Born in the USA at the, at the, as loud as he possibly could. Really? It's always strange when it's politicians who are shocked that other politicians are doing things that are political. They're always the ones that the first act like, oh, this is, uh, we can't believe he's done this move. Here's uh, Drew in Philly. Hey, Ronnie B. Hey. Uh, yeah, I don't have a totally clear view of it, but it looks like right now they pulled about eight or nine people out of it. It was the uh, Salvation Army building there on 22nd mm-hmm. and Market, and they're not... Totally sure why it fell. They're doing a little construction uh, right to the left of it. They don't know if maybe they hit a support beam or something and it fell. Right. But they have uh, 
you know, they have like dogs sniffing around and they're still looking through. Um, and they're not letting anybody too close right now. So hopefully everybody comes out with, uh, you know, just minor bumps and bruises and no deaths have been reported yet. But no idea how uh, this happened though, huh? No, it seems, yeah, they're not, you know, it doesn't seem like it's anything suspicious. Um, maybe just a structural default or a, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they hit like a beam or something, but yeah, the building just collapsed and they're not exactly sure how many people are in it. I mean, it's not, um, you know, anywhere, I don't think like near the hundreds or anything like that, but there were definitely some people in there and, uh, I saw somebody come out on the stretcher. So definitely some people injured. So hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully it, uh, comes out as best as something like this possibly can. So it's the Salvation Army at 22nd Market. Yeah, exactly, the Salvation Army building there. And the the one kind of scary thing is I heard from somebody that they have a uh, a basement in there that is accessible to the public and of use. Oh, so Jesus. hopefully, Yeah, so hopefully nobody was down in the basement because um, then that means they're going to be covered in a pretty good amount of rubble, but... Uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I just want to give you a little update down here from the scene. Thank you, my friend. All right, man. Stay on it. The weird thing is, you know, Kathleen from the Bronx lives down there. She was heading to the Salvation Army today to get some hush puppies. <sighs> wow. Her favorite type of fucking, as she calls it, tire. Because she calls her feet her wheels. <laughs> And then Chris Wheeler, voice of the Philly, she calls Chrissy feet. Because people call them wheels. It's all connected. How? We were just talking about hush puppies. And then Kathleen going to Salvation Army. You're fucking reaching, dude. Why we mentioned the hush puppies? What do you got in your e-cigarette? Ganja? Wish. Don't ever... That dab never came people in People are actually doing this. Dad putting dab in here and smoking vape. Yeah, well, th there's the there's different kinds where you there it's um, empty canister and then you mm -hmm. refill it with stuff. So with those kinds of vaporizers, uh, you can put in I guess the hash oil and the dab. They say when your mouth is getting dry, you plenty high. Mm. For first responders, are going to have a big contest today. Signed uh, from Adam Duritz, uh August. And everything after their first big album. Somebody told me that album sold 10 million copies. Jesus. And not one's ever been signed. <sighs> so this is a real collector's item. Come on. That Counting Crows. Actually, if you go to the new uh, concert that they're doing, they you get a free download of the live album, Echoes of the Outlaw Roadshow. We should probably play some of that uh, as he's uh, coming in and leaving today. Chris, you said they're your favorite live band that you've ever seen? I love the Counting Crows. And so they're your favorite live band? Yeah, even above Fish. Like it's in, weird. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Is I can't it get the up. accordion? That's part of it. That's part of it. But yeah, huge Counting Crows fan. Love live music. I saw them um, at this... Tribeca Film Festival, this little thing in the park. It was right after 9-11. Not like right after, but like the spring after. It was them with Bowie, Wycliffe Jean, and then the people that were emceeing 
was like Jimmy Fallon, Robin Williams, Billy Crystal, Bob De Niro. That sounds amazing. Yeah, and it wasn't you it was like one of these things like American Express had it and gave out the tickets. So I got tickets because I was a world famous American disc jockey. Nice. Yeah. Really Ball, nice. Baller status. But I always remember that show because it was the first, like, post-9-11 outdoor show that I'd been to. And people got really fucking wired and strange for it. Like, it seemed to me like people were, like, dancing harder and being more emotional. It was a very, very weird day. But in a good way. Yeah. It was like... Let me try to think of a few. Okay. I remember when your dad used to come home from prison. It just felt like nothing but hope, like the bad times of Jail, not prison. Okay, jail. <laughs> There's Sorry. a difference. I know. Luckily, he dropped enough names to keep himself out of doing any hard time. <laughs> oh, no, they used to call him shorthand, because oh, that's no. how fast he'd be writing up other people. Hell no. That man would never drop a dime. To the, he would. That's the first thing. Never rat. I was like, okay, dad, thanks. Thanks for that tip. Now, he usually just got into fighting, so he never really had any, no, no drugs or anything. Most of the fighting with your mom, though? No, actually, like fist fights in the street with random people. Like one time he beat up an undercover cop, and that was the big to do. <laughs> That's cool, though. <laughs> and he's like, I know he's an undercover cop. Why would he? Come on. He did a little bit for that, a couple weeks or something. Your Honor, in my defense, he was undercover. If it was an overcover cop, I would have simply yelled, fuck you, and been on my way. But this was undercover. Did not like the police, Mr. Stanley. Fuck the police is what his original line was. Yeah. Well, you know what? When you're you're down by law, you're not going to trust as much. Mm -mm. I saw some ugly stuff when I was a kid, so I've never been a person who trusts the police. Mainly off this one thing that happened when I was about... Oh, five or six years old, I saw the police dragging this fucking kid into the car while he was screaming, and they were kind of fucking him up a little bit, and it was like this really hot summer night in the city of Chester, you know, this like fucking row house street, so it just looked like a white version to do the right thing, oh, right? The whole thing was literally... <laughs> so... But all the mothers were yelling at the cop, leave him alone. And I was, like, too little to fucking get. So, like, I got a... I honestly think if I went back, like, with a shrink and went, like, where did your distrust from cops come from? Just saying that when I was a kid and acting like they're taking him away. And, like, literally in my head, you're like, but what if they took me away? And seeing that the mothers couldn't even stop it, yeah. you know? Like, you're used to the mothers breaking up fights or whatever. And people will listen to them? Yeah. No. Not the cops. Not the popo. I just wasn't a nice fucking kid. I mean, he was like a fucking creepy kid. But I just identified with his pain while he's fucking screaming and crying to help me. That sounds pretty terrifying. I never really trusted lawyers. Doctors, I don't have a trust for. Even if you if, if you hire a lawyer, you still don't trust them. Mm-mm. I don't know. I've I've ran to some good lawyers where, like, I, if I when I met them and I had to actually use them, I was like, God, oh, this guy really seems like he knows what he's doing. Yeah, I'm not saying that they're not smart. I'm just saying they could turn on you in a heartbeat. That's all I'm saying. 
Oh, my lawyer doesn't. I do have a criminal lawyer. I'm sure you do on fucking retainer. He's very good. You ought to have a fucking just like a red hot phone that you just pick it up and it rings in his office. <laughs> um, do we need to break here or we just keep on going? Let's keep on going. Well, uh, I'm looking at what you're writing oh, about Dorts. Yeah. About 15? Yeah. Why don't you just say that rather than write it down? i got to wait. Oh, it's going to be at Counting Crows. Yeah. At Counting Crows, since Adam is the one who uses the, the Counting Crows thing for first responders. Signed, August and everything after. It's very exciting. Hmm. What's exciting? Dirt's coming in. Oh, good. Your favorite live band? Yeah. Can't, can't get enough of them. Now with the wallflowers, perfect. <sighs> Six, seven, oh, heartache. That was all part of that early 90s thing. Yeah. I don't think they're a nostalgia band either. I think there's still a band that's out there performing. Like, there's certain people that on the road, you say, and and they are nostalgia bands. But, like, Neil, I don't think, is a nostalgia band. I don't even think you 2 is a, a, a nostalgia band. I think they're still attempting to do new stuff. But Radiohead's from the early 90s, and you're not like, oh, let's go back for a 90s night. Oh, no. Definitely not. Pearl Jam, I don't think, but a lot of those other Seattle bands that kind of lump themselves in together are nostalgia. Hey, I'll also give the Counting Crows this. It's least to show that you could show up and there's going to be hot chicks there. Because I hate the sausage shows that you like so much. What? What's what's wrong with... Uh, well, I fish shows, there's plenty of ladies. You're right about that. And they are spun. But they when don't you, know what's going on. But when you drug me out to that Judas Priest show, it was 99% fucking dudes. A lot of dudes. Did you have a good time? Mm -mm. I mean, raise a fist, mm -mm. right? Right? Mm -mm. Uh, I did not raise the fist of the metal child. I did run to the hills, though. Andrew, you're on the Ronnie Fez show. Hey, Ronnie B. You know, I was always annoyed by listening to Pepper breathing into the mic all day, but I think the smoking has trumped the breathing. And you can curse on me because it's June. No, this is all you're going to get. Fucking centaur. It is vapor. Come on, man. I'm glad I'm annoying that guy personally. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm not seeing anyone coming out. Up oh, there they are. I just saw some of you pulled out of the rubble. Oh my god. And it looks like they were coming out from the basement. Oh. See him carrying that dude? Yep. This is all live. Dusty. You know, you got to give those firemen all the credit in the world. They don't know how fucking safe that situation is. And they just go in there. They don't know when the floor could give out on somebody. They're probably more important to the world than people who do what we do are. I'd argue that. I mean, 
Really? Put out a fire. But can they talk on the air for four hours? I mean, probably actually. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I think anyone can talk for four hours. You ever been on a road trip? What do you think is like the most important job in America? I got mine down. It's toll booth guy. <laughs> really, the guy? Not like on a president. That's no, that's fucking. I, I think it's a shadow government running everything. Well, then I think fucking Obama does nothing all day. Well, then the most important job would be shadow government president. <laughs> Emperor is more like it. A lot of those shadow government people are aliens anyway. What? How, how do you know that? Well, uh, I heard it on that overnight radio show. I forget the name of that guy. Bell. Yeah, Bell the Nut, I think, was the name of the show. Art Bell. Art Bell. The fucking lunatic. He would talk about, like, shadow governments of aliens. Which, if true, we are fucked. The aliens are running everything. Well, maybe they're running, you know, for our good. That, that could be possible. Yeah, like, we're running things good for the fucking hogs, cattle, and chickens. That's how they view us. I don't want to be some damn alien cheeseburger. I'll go out shooting. I ain't going out like... Shooting jizz. <laughs> you like that, huh, you alien <laughs> scumbags? Eat my fucking cum. <laughs> Ridiculous. I liked it better when you didn't curse. Yeah, I'm still doing all right. I'm not, you know, cursing constantly anymore. I'm just smoking a knee cigarette constantly. Driving people nuts. <laughs> my email is just filled with people... <laughs> You're driving crazy. Like, does he have to suck it right into the microphone? Like that? That's a good vapor. He's got the vapors. Biggie, in California, you're on the Run of Fed show. Hey, what's up? You got to hook up that S.A. Shelby with that ebony girl, man. Get some favor in his life. Peace, S.A. Ever been with a black chick? Biggie always a Vato? Have not. We gotta do that for you then. No. Why? You prejudiced? Racist, dude. Uh, it's dangerous. Why? I just, I just get crushed. Oh, stop it. Your what little dick is gonna be fine. I've never been, I've been on World Star, okay? I've, You're, I've we're not gonna get you a things. World Star chick. <laughs> we're gonna find you a nice, nice girl. Somebody from Washington Heights. <laughs> yeah, come on, Dominican. He's afraid of Dominicans? He's afraid of everything right now. <laughs> Don't be. Got some platanos. It's awesome. Probably just starving. Some mangu. How come we never have, like, great lunches in here like we used to? God, we used to live on top of it, weren't we? Yeah. We can bring it back. <laughs> no, we can't. We can't. I can't live in a world of nostalgia. People, uh, they say two people is what they're left looking for. Two people may be trapped in the basement in Philadelphia. Oh, God. Uh, here's John. John, you're on the Ron Fez show. Hey there, Ron. Um, Fox News was saying that the building next door to it, um, they were actually demolishing, and one of the walls, I guess, fell down the wrong way, and they, you know, knocked down that other building. 
That's fucking so weird. So weird. It's considered an industrial accident is what they're calling it right now. Jesus. Philly cops just came in and started hitting the bricks with billy clubs. Just shooting tear gas into it's the rubble. It's weird watching this search go on so clear because they got the helicopter shot in real time. Coming up for first responders, your chance to uh, win something really cool. Signed copy of August and everything after by Adam Duritz, the singer, songwriter for uh, Counting Crows. The Twitter is at Counting Crows. Now, Chris, I want you to see something. Do you notice that these copies don't go all the way through without there being some fuck up? Like, here, just take this. Look at the crow in Crows. Yeah, see how there's a line in it? And this happens, like, all the time. Look at show comes up as howl. There's and a I'm, line going through yeah, it. Now, and it just kind of raises one out. But if I'm doing that in, like, real time, I'll say, I'll say something fucking crazy. I uh, called IT to fix the printer. Yes. You tell IT, yeah. I want them to just put SH before their fucking name, because that's what they're worth to me. And I haven't seen Rob Cross in a while. Is everything all right between me and him? Yeah, yeah. It seems like he's giving me the old cold shoulder. No. I think he just has a lot of SXMU business. He loves them. I know. He's like, I had a uh, show with a... I had a thing with a... Um, XM Radio when I had to go away this last weekend. I was listening a lot of XMU. Digging, okay. Also digging some classic vinyl. Margarita Channel? Mm. No. Cheeseburger? <laughs> that song actually was playing when I turned it on. I thought of you. I was going to call you and just fucking put the phone up. <laughs> Cheeseburger Paradise? What the fuck? Tom Petty Channel was really good, though. He was They're on his radio show. Yeah, they're extending it a couple more weeks. It was supposed to... Um, Is that right? A pop-up channel, but yeah, they're extending it. I was fucking enjoying the shit out of it. Mm. Liz That's Fire wants us to hook up uh, a friend of hers with Adam Duritz. I will say this about Adam. He has... Quite the reputation as a coxman. Beautiful woman. Now, Leo is considered the guy of today in, in as far as getting the most famous model, beautiful women, blah, blah, blah. But Adam Doritz would be front page of that report if we were doing a current report. All time, I think he'd probably still have to go back to Warren Beatty. Last page is a tie with Chris Stanley and Eastside Dave. <laughs> <laughs> now, Chris is in love. He's been with the same girl for seven years. And you said never even stepped out even once, right? Hell no. Okay. That's a little fucking gay, dude. Very much straight. Really? Because you're not proving it. <laughs> Very much straight. You know who else would be on the list? Mike Kaka. And you know why? What's that? $3,000 sunglasses. God damn. Jesus. 
So expensive. Blue blockers are fifty bucks. Um. Is that right? Yeah. They used to be twenty, but ever since that Hangover came out and Calvin Axe was wearing them, they jacked the prices up. So they're fifty now. Yeah. When you bought them, did you feel something hit you in the back? It might have been your change. <laughs> might have no. been thrown at you as you were walking out the door. No, and yeah, I bought them on the internet, so I wouldn't even have to deal with that. Maybe there's another envelope. <laughs> hey, Gary, you're on, buddy. Oh, uh, yeah, Ronnie, I heard it actually wasn't uh, an industrial accident. I heard the Philadelphia Police Department was trying to chase out some uh, squatters there and drop the satchel charge on top of the building. Look, there'll be time to do jokes about Philly. Right now, we got to get those people out safe and sound. I mean, it's happening in real time. Come on. Have some compassion. But you should. Uh, if you go see Counting Crows this summer with the Wallflowers, you'll also get a free download of the live album, Echoes of the Outlaw Roadshow. Now, here's something the Crows do that actually I'm a fan of, but not everybody is. They do a lot of their songs differently than the way you heard them on the radio. Some people are like, what the fuck? I want to hear this just like the album. I find it interesting when you keep fucking around with songs. You come to see a live show. It's going to sound different. Thank you. Come on, man. Thank you. Come on. Now, what I don't like is Endless Jam. I like that, too. Like, if you're going to do the Endless Jam, why does it matter what song it's in the middle of? Just go out and have an Endless Jam. Try to write a new song on st on stage. I'd rather see. I love when bands do that. That's pretty fun. But Endless Jam can be great because they, when they bring it back, man, it's awesome. In the middle of that crazy-ass jam you were just listening to, all messed up. Like 22 minutes go by and then all of a sudden, oh, yeah, I forgot. This was the song. Oh, yeah. All right. You enjoy myself. You enjoy myself, Yield. It's fish. It's fish. Uh, fish song. What's that even mean, though? I don't know. I Trey wrote in college. What school did he go to? Vermont? Yeah, he went to Vermont. I think he went to school in Jersey, too. He bounced around a little bit. He went to Vermont Teddy Bear University. <laughs> hey, they play You Enjoy Myself on the uh, Weather Channel sometimes. <laughs> I don't think it's a good thing. So the Tom Petty thing is going to go on for a while. Yeah, for a few more weeks, yeah. They extended it. Is he coming in? Not that I know of, No. I know he's just in town doing all those shows. Like a week of shows in Beacon. Brian, you're on the Run of show. Brian. Oh, hey guys. I was just uh, going to tell you that you got to tell jokes about the building because if you don't, the building wins. Imagine if you would have used timing with this. <laughs> it would have been fucking good. Because you never want to start a joke with, oh, hey guys. I didn't know it was me. <laughs> I like callers that feel the need to say hi to every single person that's in the room. Hi, Chris. Hey. Hi, hi, Shelby. Hi, Fez. 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 Hi, Fez. No. He's not talking to me. No. I don't know what's up. Mm. Found a picture of Shelby's new girlfriend. <laughs> Ooh. He likes her. Muscular in that one. Wow. 
you know, who are we to say? Dark of the berries, free the juice. Jesus what? Christ, <laughs> no one knows what I even held up. What? You gotta start that stupid shit. What? You're a racist, and I, I don't fucking like it. I'm definitely My not. best friend's name happens to be Earl. Black Earl? Yes. Just Earl, because I don't see color. I hear it, though. Weird. I want to get to this a little later on in the show about the hipsters saying that they won the Obama campaign. Uh, but let's break here, and we come back. We're going to have Adam Doritz from the Counting Crows. We'll start this off with something new. Well, something off his live album, Echoes of the Outlaw Roadshow. Uh, we'll have signed August and everything after at Counting Crows. At Counting Crows. We'll break back with the lead singer of the Counting Crows, Adam Doritz. The Ron and Fez Show on the Open Anthony Show. Sirius XM. <laughs> You've been warned.
Adam, welcome, man. How you doing? I'm all right. I'm pretty good. Back out on the road this uh, summer. Um, what do you feel like the state of music in America is? I mean, when you guys started, to me, it was like one of those golden ages. You know, the early 90s had that great feel about it. I think it's pretty great right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that the same things that made it hard for a lot of us to continue as successfully as we did, you know, made it really good for a lot of young bands to play. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's possible in ways now for, I mean, when the record companies all fell apart, it, it meant that... Uh, Largely, it, a lot of possible for a lot of independent bands it used to have to sign to a major label, and now you can really bands can survive and thrive uh, for much longer independently. It's cheaper to make records. Uh, there's more easy ways to sell it on the internet without any overhead, like you know, to ship right. stuff. So I think you know, it used to be like bands came and went. They lived really short lives. It may be hard for people to become like superstar famous anymore, but it's possible for a lot of bands to like. I have friends who've never been signed to a major label who've made five or six records, you know, and, and yeah. they're great bands. You get really good, which is the nice thing about it. But you're right. You're going to be the replacements if you're lucky, not Rod Stewart lifestyle. Yeah, you know what I mean. So you're going to be able to go out and perform and live. Uh, playing your music, so it changes, I guess, the attitude of why people go into music in the first place. Well, but for for a fan, it's mm -hmm. pretty great because your choice of music and your choice of venues to hear it has just wildly expanded. Not just like satellite radio, not just terrestrial radio, but right. satellite radio, and not just this, but the entire internet. You know, any blog that wants to write a story about you can put a a song on as well. It's really easy. Um, I think that's kind of great. I mean, just you're asking me about music well, as a music yeah. fan. I, I tend to answer that more as a fan than a player i guess it's hard to make a living but easier than it was well uh, when you bring up as a fan it's really interesting to me with a kid if you turn them on to a band they'll listen to all three albums over the weekend it's not when i was younger you had to go out and find out where you could hear any of those bands and then you probably were buying it it would take you a long time to to actually get to know a band well especially when when we were growing up because You'd have to find the record, and records went out of print pretty easily. So yeah. it actually was hard to find something. Now, once CDs came along, you could find, after a while, you could find everything. And now with the internet, you really can. Yeah. You know? But you still are a music fan. You sure. like music the same way when you were a kid. At what age and what made you feel like you were going to be connected to music? Well, my parents took me to see the Jackson 5 when I was a little kid. Mm. Um, that was a pretty big deal for me. It kind of knocked me out at the time. I don't really remember it very well, but I, I remember I just wanted to listen to them nonstop after that. Well, I, I've never gotten over little Michael Jackson, ever in my life. Yeah, I'm talking, this is like 68, 69 for yeah. me. I was a little kid. Yeah, to me, that was when he was a little kid like that, and being like James Brown on stage. Amazing, yeah. I haven't even made it into Thriller yet. I haven't even gotten past the initial shock of how great that little kid was. Now, you could spend a lot of time just with... Uh, Jackson Five records. Yeah. You know. So there, but there, and there is a really perfect performer to look at of why someone, what attracts somebody to music, because there he is as a kid and he's just all heart. But you notice as the years went on, he he came became about hype and selling, and you know everything, every dark part of the of the record business probably got to Michael Jackson. Well, I think the deceptive part is probably thinking that it wasn't happening then because. It's all heart, but Motown's a very pro, very professional way of being that way. I mean, I think right. you're probably right. He's a kid, but he's... Think about how good the five of them are. None of them are 18 yet, I don't think. Right. And they can... They are, they, they've got dance moves. They've got everything down better than any of the... Uh, 
boy bands you see that we know get trained nowadays. Sure. You know, and they're just as well trained. The difference is that the end product might have been some better music than the, than we're used to seeing from a boy band. But essentially, they're still a boy band. They're like, they're trained, you know. And then mm -hmm. apparently, the family, the home thing wasn't so great with the dad. I don't know. I mean, it's gossip, but right. But yeah, it's tough. You know, it's a tough way to grow up. I think to grow up being a pro as a young person. And yeah, I don't think being you know. There's a point in your life where, yeah, you know, if you're going to be a musician, where it does switch. It's the kind of thing that's usually a hobby for most people, mm -hmm. you know, which means it's just for fun. And there's a point in every musician's life where they kind of come up against that moment where it actually gets hard, unpleasant. You're arguing with people about it, and you have to make a decision on whether to really continue to be a musician or just keep it as a hobby. And a lot of people stop at that point. You know, your first band that's really you really fight over things. I know it made me want to stop at the time. But I'm not sure it's, you know, at least I had those years as a kid where it was just fun. Yeah. Like, for him, it was, oh, I know that being a professional musician is different from just enjoying it. And there's no way he was just having fun, even at 10, 11, 12, however old because he was. Because there's, as soon as, like, money and scheduling and touring and direction, yeah. And there's a satisfaction to work, too. It's not such a bad thing to become a professional at something, because there's a real satisfaction in being an adult and yeah. doing something and supporting yourself. It's pretty cool. I mean, I like it more. But it was nice to have it where it was just fun, too, for a little bit when I was a kid, you know? What point do, does it become work for you, though? Touring or Well, no, I mean, I just album? remember my first band. Once you start, mm -hmm. to, It's when you start to care, really. Right. Because once you care a lot about it, and you have five people who care about something, you're not all going to agree. Yeah. So the first band that you're really serious in, people fight. And then you're like, you're not used to fighting over something that's fun, and it's sort of a pain to yelling at your friends and them yelling at you. I, after my first serious band, I spent a couple years in it, and I, and I didn't want to play music anymore for a little bit. And I went away and went backpacking around Europe, landscaped for a while. Uh, and then I came back and started the band when I realized that it wasn't sort of out of me. Yeah. But it's not that it's, people think of it when you say it's work, it's a bad thing. I don't really think of it that way. There's a there's a deeper satisfaction in, in, in doing your job, you know, and there's a nice... It's a nice feeling about that. It's better than fun. Well, being in a band is such an odd thing to begin with because there's so many people that come into it. You know, it's not like a stand-up comedian can go to this place. Now, when you travel as a band, it's a lot of people that have to feel okay about every decision. Sure. And uh, Todd Rundgren said that the the big misconception is that people think that bands are democracy because it's always really one dude who really wants it the most trying to drag everyone else in different directions you find that to be true sure. or yeah. I, I mean the best thing you can hope for is a benevolent dictator <laughs> right and we have a benevolent dictatorship in our band which is good it wasn't good at the beginning when i wasn't good at doing it you know learning to be a leader is a tough thing and you start off in it and i just really wasn't good at first and I, that made life miserable for everybody now, part of you realize part it's nice to be in charge in a way, but then you realize after a few minutes that being in charge is a lot more about responsibility than it is about getting to do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. You know, and you have to learn how to like. You still have to make the decisions that you think are the right decisions, and you have to do it when everyone else disagrees with you. But you also have to take care of all those other people, and that's you know part of being in charge is taking the shit too. And yeah, and I imagine you also need people to go. I know I've handed this over, so I'm gonna go with it, even though I don't agree a hundred percent yet. You know, yeah, and usually, I mean, it's kind of just force of will when you when someone decides to take over at one point, mm -hmm. it really is just force of will, which seems outrageous, I think, to everyone else at that moment. I know it seemed outrageous to me at the time that I was taking things over when I did. Uh, thankfully, you know, I was a really good bunch of guys in our band, right? You know? And then they tolerated me being a dick for a few years there while I learned to do it. You know? But because th is that because you wanted it so much that you really felt like. 
I've got to get this thing off. Well, I've been in a bunch of bands where I was in charge or less in charge or more in charge. And I, and yeah. I, I you know, my second band after that first one I quit, I, I liked what I liked about it was that it was totally democratic, that I was only responsible for writing lyrics and and we made decisions together. And, and it was great to not have all the responsibility. But a lot of what the reasons, you know, when Counting Crows started, I felt like I had an idea and uh, I felt like I maybe I was ready to like, that I had a vision for what I wanted to do. Um, and so at the beginning, I really had pushed and it took things over. Yeah. And there was a point where I decided to do, or it was right when we started to make the first record, where I decided to take over. Because I had something I wanted to do. I knew, I, I thought I knew the right thing to do. Um, it takes a while for everyone to trust you. Also, it takes a while for you to handle it well, because authority is a hard thing to handle. You're not sure whether you you, you have to like, clobber people over the head sometimes because you're afraid you won't have authority if you don't. But, yeah. You know, you just have to learn to do... Learning to be a leader is a pretty tough thing. Particularly when all of a sudden it starts to be successful right off the bat. Yeah. And so the decisions are not so much, hey, do we want to do these two gigs but plan this big tour? Or, you know, suddenly there's a lot of money uh, on yeah. the table. I had a good lucky run there, mm. getting getting shit right for a while. Yeah, so. <laughs> and that's all it really does to take off. You know what I mean? Like, you have to get in that thing. And I, I, I mean, if you really think about it with the Counting Crows, you guys have been together how many years now? 20-something. How many bands can say that? How many bands in history could say, hey, two decades after we started went out on the road, we still have fans. We still have people who show up. And the weird thing about your fans is they show up to see something different. There's You, you guys are not a, a nostalgia act at all. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not about... There's so many bands that, that can still tour because they remind people of 1976 and when, you know, they first got laid or whatever, and they remind... You know, let's go back. And to me, I think it's just great that people can keep doing, you know, being musicians. But the fact that your fans show up to see... A new experience is really, really unusual. A yeah, I mean, days. nobody has any idea what's going to happen that night. I mean, yeah. even, we don't even make our set list till around dinner time, the night of a show, and it changes every night. So you know, it's like it's up in the air every day what we're going to play, which is nice. But and also, what the song is going to sound like is oh, somewhat too, yeah. up in the air. And a lot of people, I'm sure, have expressed to you that they would rather hear stop fucking up your song. <laughs> yeah, they would yeah. rather hear the the version that they heard first. I think they think that, but yeah, you, the thing is, you can go home and hear that. I, I think the only reason we're any good now is because we've treated it a certain way over the years. You know, like if we didn't want to play a song on a given night. We didn't play it. Right. And that way we're not sick of any of our songs, really, you know. And, you know, we, one of the reasons our concerts are so good, whether you think you wanted to hear Mr. Jones play just like the record or not, one of the reasons it's so good is that it felt real live to us. Like, we were, you know, the songs are always changing and growing every day and every, you know, every show. And uh, that keeps us involved in the concert. Because I think if we were just sort of playing them everything the same way, we'd, we'd have been phoning it in for a while now it wouldn't be particularly and you've been to those shows before where people are like here's the hits go ahead take it you know you know some people actually i mean there's i've seen bands that you know there are bands that play the same set every night and do it really well yeah you know um and that's just what they do it's great i, I mean i i just could never deal with it well it's always interesting too that if you follow a band for a while you will see that sometimes they fall out of love with the songs that they have to do uh, Almond Brothers with Whipping Post. They're like sometimes five years go by, and all of a sudden it seems like they're back into it 
again, Stone songs are the same way, or Elton, anyone who's been around long enough. But you guys go in a different direction where you're still figuring out the song years after it's come together. Well, yeah, I think, you know, there's there's lots to discover. I kind of feel like songs are like coffee filters in a way. You just, they're, you pour your life through them every day, so they're going to change a little bit. And mm -hmm. that keeps them still vital and keeps them still, you know, happening. I, I, I like it better that way. I feel like, you know, I, I still enjoy playing. This last year has been the best year we've ever had playing concerts. I don't know, something happened from making a covers album. I think it just like it was like getting to collaborate with a bunch of people who weren't there. Right. And the band got, like, we've always been a really good live band, but we got great this year like i'm not sure exactly why but everything just got way better yeah. and do you think you, because you had to look at music differently since it wasn't yours since it wasn't originally yours and then you had to make it yours i think maybe i mean yeah. I, i've been trying to put a finger on it and i do think it's it definitely forces you to look at things differently you know it's weird for me to say this being the writer but it is pretty limiting if you think about it to work with only one writer for your entire career right. even, the, even the writer being me i mean just as a singer it was great to work with different ways of rhyming, different ways of looking at the world and turning it into a song, different ways of using melody or rhythm. I mean, for what, something happened when we did it, and then we came out on the road, and the band was just way better. It's been a great year that way for us. Uh, you still like the road as much as you were a kid, at least performing live? Same well, experience? I like the gigs mm -hmm. more than I used to, probably. Uh, I've never really been a huge fan of touring because I didn't like being away from home, and I didn't like... Uh, like the hotel life right but i love the gigs yeah. and the gigs are so much better now that it's actually kind of mixed i mean you gotta remember you only spend a couple hours a day playing a gig you know right the rest of it's you know sitting around somewhere but I, the gigs have been so much better that it it's actually made the whole experience a lot better mm. i've always been a little you know i just kind of was someone who was better off maybe being around friends and family than i was on my own but I dig yeah, it. Well, it is. I mean, it's not really all that healthy for anyone who spends a lot of time. You know, if you're a traveling salesman, sooner or later you're going to fuck up your family life or whatever. It's just, it's just part of it. You know, there's a, there's a receipt that comes in. Well, I mean, I've had friends who like dying to come out on the road. They're dying to like do that for a while. And we had a friend of mine who uh, I was, you know, I was boxing for a long time. A friend of mine came out on the road to like so I could box every day and he could train all the guys in the band to keep everybody healthy on tour. Which is great for us, mm -hmm. but after a few weeks, he was a wreck. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know right. he's, drink, he's not smoking. Yeah, but he, he's drinking and smoking. He's just like ah, <laughs> he just the, the life of switching cities every day and moving along and all the weirdness that goes along with that just just wore him out. You know, it probably seemed like fun for the first week or so, but then a month into it, he's just like completely collapsing right. on the bus every day. And there's always people there that have been waiting for two weeks for you to arrive yeah. so that they can party with you. And you're like, but this has been going on for a while. Uh, I, I still think the thing about music that is amazing is that every night you don't know whether you're going to completely love it or not, or you don't know whether it's going to change you or not. I remember seeing you guys, it was the spring after... 9-11, where you were down in Tribeca with the film festivals, you guys in Bowie and all that. Oh, yeah. And there was, everyone just showed up to see a show, but at some point during that show, and I actually think it was your set, there was this real release that went on in the crowd that I don't think that people were expecting. And I remember, I guess you guys were, it's when you uh, jumped in the Thunder Road, and there was just something that took place where I looked around and a lot of people were crying. A lot of men were crying, but as they were dancing. 
And it's just that deep tissue massage thing, I think, that can happen sometimes. Well, I think music. it happened a lot that year, especially all over the country, but especially here, mm-hmm. where, you know, you weren't really ready for your to lose control of your emotions, but something moved you. Right. And I think it, that's why concerts are a place where it could happen, especially our kinds of shows where they get kind of emotional. I, I think people just weren't expecting it. You know, you deal with something that horrible, and it, you know, it sticks inside, and you don't always process it right, process it correctly. Right. Really, think it through and then you know it, it all comes back to you one day when you're ex- at a concert and something moves you and it just kind of floods out I, I think i saw that a lot that year you know we had a lot of friends who were who were firemen here in, in the area and his friends of ours own bars in, in new york and they would bring groups of people out you know right after that you know a lot of the people that used to come to shows weren't there anymore and, right. and you know so we were definitely surrounded by some friends and family and i really understood why they were having such a um powerful or time rough time powerful experience at the show i guess but you know we definitely saw it all around the country that year but you know of course here it's just but i think different. i think the amazing thing is there's that release that you weren't even counting on you know and there's just sometimes that you can be at a show that just suddenly pops up to some level and you can only kind of equate it to saying to doing a drug where every, where it's kicking in for everybody at the same time because there's nowhere else to put that. But it's still that mystery of yeah. music. It's a weird thing because I, I moved here right after that, about a year later, and uh, I had a weird experience here that I've never had anywhere else before. Where like a lot of uh, police officers, especially, but firemen stuff like that, would always like. Stop me on the streets because you walk around. New York's a different right. city. You walk around all the time. You're on the subway, so you're, you know, you're, you're right out there with everybody else. And I, they would just say hi to me all the time. And I wondered if it had a lot to do with like we played around here a lot right afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, and we did a lot of shows and we did some benefits back then. It just seemed like when I moved here, I, people kept saying hi to me. Right. You know, it, was, uh, it was interesting. Um, but that's the connection that you've looked for, right? Sure. Getting into music since you were a kid, and. Um, does that happen for you more writing? Is it on stage or is it different each place? I think it's in all of them. It's it's definitely, mm-hmm. you know, I, I always think of there being three parts to what we do. There's writing, there's recording, and there's playing it live. And they're all, you know, invaluable and important in their own way. Equally, they're all equally important. Um, and they're all different. Like the playing every day, you do it a lot. You know, the writing takes place in for me in, in small chunks and then the recording takes place in this one period and then you go out and play everything but none of them would be any good without the rest of them you know the songs in the end are just kind of skeletons until you get in there in the studio with the whole band and really make it into a county crow song and by the same tokens they would only develop so far if you didn't go out and play them every night um and and continue growing them so i don't know they it all seems I've never been able to think of any one part as more important than the others. But. And they're all pretty much different skill sets when very, you think about different. it. And even doing what you do here, just being out and keeping people interested in the music. You know, there's a certain amount of marketing that takes place, <laughs> which is a completely different skill set than any other uh, any other part of this thing. It's a very, very strange thing about what, you know, makes a band a band. It's a, it's a lot of weird chemistry. Yeah. It's not, it's not something you should screw with too much once you got one. I think people make that mistake a lot. They think, well, I'm successful here. I can tell these guys to fuck off and go right. somewhere else. That's uh, 
It's a dicey proposition. Well, it goes back to what we said about Rod Stewart, because I think those early albums that he did with The Faces, mm. some of the best music I've ever heard in my life. And stuff that he's done since then is still successful, but no one's ever going to go, okay, I'm making a list of important albums. So that's the strange thing. Who knows why? Who knows why any band works? There's a period in the, in the 70s where the re between making records, his own solo records and the Faces records, mm -hmm. his body of work, it might be the best of anyone out there. I mean, it definitely compares to the same same period. Stones is probably their greatest period right. in the 70s. I don't know that theirs are better because those Rod Stewart albums and Faces albums are spectacular. Well, the thing is, the Faces are playing on the Rod Stewart albums. You know yeah, what I mean? Half those... yeah, definitely Je uh, Ron Wood and... yeah. Uh, Ronnie Lane. So you look at that stuff and you're like, that was really one band putting out like six albums in three years that were great. But it, but it, uh, but that does happen with me. Like I said, when your band broke the early '90s, it felt like, oh, okay, this is what it felt like in the '60s. This is, you know, there's so much great music going on. This is going to just roll on now. We got it. The other weird thing about that is like independent film was really great. At the same period, I kind of think it started before us, though, because for me, it really started in the '80s when uh, all the college radio bands, you know, all the all the great college labels that came up in the '80s, and then you had you know Dinosaur Jr. and REM, right? And the Pixies, you know, there was a, a Camper Van Beethoven. and there's a whole generation, ten years before us, where I don't know the advent of independent music labels really opened up and the advent of college radio right. being out there you know all of a sudden there's just so many different kinds of music you can hear and so many great bands um i guess what i'm saying is when you when that was happening with you guys it was real mainstream success yeah for people that you wouldn't have, have expected to have it whether it was nirvana or the chili peppers and you know that was, we could sit around and play with that but suddenly these bands were Selling Rage Against the Machine is selling records. Where, you know, Dinosaur Jr. and those guys, they have Pixies. The Pixies yeah. slugged it out through the whole 80s and had to wait a long time before their audience caught up with them. Yeah, but um, the audience that caught up with them early on was like Kurt Cobain. Right. Or, or me, you know, who was like freaking out over the Pixies records. And, you know, Cobain, Kurt said it a million times. That's, that was his... Quiet verse, huge chorus. Yeah. You know, the, the Pixies thing, you know, showed him how to make, how to write songs. You know, I certainly think for me it was huge because uh, that's why after our first album we wanted Gil Norton to do uh, Recovering Satellites because it was of his work with the Pixies and how influential it was for all of us. How did that go over with the record company? <laughs> Not very well. Because you just have this giant album with T Bone, right? Which. We had a series of those kind of conversations over the years. Is that right? Well, we always, you know, we, the one thing, we had incredible amounts of money on the table. We had every label in the world basically giving offering us a record contract when we you know, there's a bidding war. And we gave all that money away to get because Geffen was the label that was willing to give us higher royalties mm -hmm. uh and uh complete creative control before the first album. Um so we were always free to do our own thing. I don't think they were always thrilled or happy with us, but they never went back on it, which was nice, you know, like 'cause you're right, you know, after you have sold I don't know how many millions of records with T-Bone, they don't want you to go find the guy that made the no. Pixies records. And when you go number one with that record, they don't want you to go find the Sparkle Horse guys <laughs> right. to do the next record. You know, we, we just have these series of like, for us it was just like, I don't know, the T-Bone wasn't a decision that I think, you know, was necessarily a hit maker. I thought he made yeah. great first album. So we were just thinking it was a good idea. It worked. 
And then we thought, well, what do we want to do next? Well, we want to go work with Gil. So this is what the, our music's going more in this direction. There's a lot more guitars right now. We should work with Gil. It just seemed like we were just making decisions from the very beginning that seemed like what we felt like doing. So it didn't feel any different when we picked T-Bone for us than when we picked Gil or when we picked, uh, you know, Dennis Herring and Dave Lowry to do this Desert Life. I think it seemed very different to the record company, but they like to think in hindsight. Right, I mean, exactly. You can talk about, I mean, I don't know that they were like, nobody was sure T-Bone was going to make hits with us. They didn't think we were going to be that kind of band. We were on DGC. That's where, like, you know, the Sundays, the Posies, uh, us, Maria McKee, you know, and Nirvana. But, like, us and Nirvana blew up, but it's not like you would have expected that out of either band. It right. just happened. So we were just making decisions the same way all along. It's just like, you know, when you've got hindsight to tell you, all hindsight ever tells you is do the thing you did last time again, which yeah. is kind of useless. Because that's not how you got there the first time. Um, was it stressful, though, when the band blew up the way that it did, or were you ready for it? Oh, no. I don't think you can ever really be ready for yeah. it. Uh, it's just too weird. You know, it's like waking up on Mars. All of a sudden, you know, you can get used to the gravity, but it takes a little bit of time. Yeah. Because you, know, you don't really change that much. But everybody else starts acting really weird. Um, and that was my experience of it, anyways. Just, you know, there were kids camped out on my lawn. It turned into Beatlemania in Berkeley. Yeah. Um, and also a lot of people pissed off. What, what what were people pissed about? Same thing they always are. Yeah. There's no such thing as local boy makes good. There's, <laughs> there's, you suck. I can't believe it's you and not us. You know. Right. You know, it's the same thing. Any, anytime anyone succeeds, no one's really happy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in, in the hometown got ugly for a couple of years, and it's fine now. But you know, now we're like beloved hometown sons. But at the time, it was kind of ugly. But was that tough for you to travel through, or were you like, I've got enough history of the way. You know, because I'm sure Liverpool treated the Beatles the same way. Oh, like, sure. oh, what the fuck? Why these guys? Oh, I to me it was just really weird. I had a hard time with it. But, you know, I'm a little crazy anyway, so things mm -hmm. that, things that get different are harder for me in some ways because I'm I need a little stable ground sometimes. And <laughs> unfortunately, I chose or fortunately I chose a life and a career where there's just not very little of that. Right. Um. So I had it's no surprise that I had a hard time coping then. I mean, I was going to have a hard time with that just because of the nature of my head. You know, it was. It was always going to be hard for me to make that kind of adjustment, but that's okay. You you, you learn to make it. Well, you you've been pretty open about some of this stuff that you've been through. Does that help you um, to be able to talk about it? No, no, not really. Mm -hmm. um, I just didn't for years because at at a point where I felt like I was continuing to go downhill, I didn't want to publicly talk about it because then it just becomes a, everyone's discussion. You know, and I, I, I think. I probably hurt us in some ways by not doing that because it allowed people to sort of take a to misinterpret things on the records. And when we got ready to make, when we got ready to release Saturday nights and Sunday mornings, I felt like I was uh, turning things around a little bit. Um, and also, I thought I really don't want this record to be misunderstood too. So I thought I would just talk about it at that point. And I felt like I was getting a little better, so I felt a little more comfortable about doing it. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I mean, there's no. There's no value in the public knowing about your life. It's just, I thought it was better for the band, and I felt capable of doing it at that point, so it seemed like a good time. It's interesting to say there's no value to the public knowing about your life when your work, you know, your lyrics are so much about your life. Well, yeah, that, 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 people experience that emotionally. Mm -hmm. um, they... The other rest of it becomes gossip. However much people really want to think about it or care right. about it, it really does just become gossip. And th then you then you start like, then you start getting comments from people. This is one of the, the other reason I didn't want to talk about it is because I know what happens is like, people stop 
criticizing or judging the the artistic value of the work, and they start talking about the plot. Sure, they want the plot to go differently. You know, if you write another, you write an album about falling apart and getting back together. On your next album, you fall apart a little more, and they're like, "What's this problem?" Yeah, he was getting back. Doesn't know the plot's <laughs> going this way. He was getting better. Yeah. The next album should be about being even better. Like what? What are, you, what are you talking about? You don't get to write the plot of my life, you know? It really is a strange thing to what we consider. Like, if someone says, I've been married for 25 years, people will clap. As if that has anything to do with whatever. And, uh, there's plenty of artists that people go, well, what about his politics? And I'm like, i I got to put the art first, and then the politics after. You live fact. long enough, people clap for anything. Yeah, <laughs> all you gotta do is survive. You know, after a while, everything's beloved. After it gets old, I mean, the ninety years yeah. young bit. Yeah, that they do. All you gotta do is survive, and people will eventually yeah. applaud survival. I mean, you know, it's like, like we said, we like the familiar. Mm -hmm. So when someone's been around for a while, whatever you may have thought at one point, you probably come around because some of the a lot of the negative thoughts you have about people are probably fairly judgmental and momentary, anyways. So after a while, you start to love things that you've been with a while. County Crows on the road with the Wallflowers all summer long. Tickets on sale now. Go to CountingCrows.com for tour dates. Uh, Twitter, it's at Counting Crows. Now, if you purchase a ticket to the show, you'll get a free download of Echoes of the Outlaw Road Show. Adam, thank you so much, man. It was great having you stop by here today. Thanks, and uh, you know, I hope people enjoy that live album. It was a great year touring for us, and we wanted to document it. And then we thought we'd just give it away. So we, uh, it's a really cool record, though. Well, that's what you can do when you're running your own show, though, can't you? It's nice. All right, man. I'll see you next time. Thanks Coming very through. much, you guys.
Uh, the Counting Crows from a download album, live album, Echoes of the Outlaw Roadshow. Uh, you can pick up a free Counting Crows sign by Adam Duritz uh, by being a first responder, uh, writing to Adam at, at Counting Crows, at Counting Crows on Twitter. Um, Personally, I'd always have a Twitter account if I wanted to win stuff, because these first responders shit. We get some really cool stuff signing. We brought this up of August and everything after being one of the big albums of the 90s. Well, you can get that signed by the writer and lead singer of The Counting Crows, uh, Adam Duritz. So it's at Counting Crows, at Counting Crows. All right, very, very cool there. Um... Big baseball news. We ought to call Bot in for this uh, because it looks like as many as 20 suspensions. 20 suspensions coming up in baseball. Let's bring in Bot to talk a little bit of ball. Theme music that he comes in. This would be great for any reliever, by the way. I don't, I don't know why no one's using that. <laughs> I try to think of myself as the closer. You, know? you really are the closer of this program. Uh, as many as twenty different suspensions, including a Rod getting suspended, and we should give you the earlier news: a Rod is still in, in baseball. Apparently, yeah. There's been sightings of him. <laughs> Madonna knows a little something about that. Uh, by the way, that was the early Centaur picture. There is an A-Rod Centaur oh, yeah. <laughs> that he has in his own bedroom. Um, this is going to be the biggest that biggest roundup 
ever in the history of professional sports. It will, and they have really A-list names in terms of both Alex Rodriguez, Ryan Braun, and mm-hmm. Melky Cabrera, who had a fantastic season last year, who was already dinged, won the All-Star MVP. There's a lot of players that are even, you know, kind of tertiary, secondary guys. Right. We saw Francisco Cervelli, the catcher for the Yankees, among others. It's huge, but I don't know how much people care. Because I think that people like steroids in baseball. People mm. like more home runs. I mean, purists love stolen bases and shutouts. And we all kind of like the occasional shutout, but no one wants to go to a baseball game and see 2 nothing. Oh, I do. Well, I love a good defensive game. I think it's the, the funnest thing about the game. And the, the long ball game is not really baseball. But if you watch ESPN highlights, you just save one. You know, moonshot after another. And, you know, the little moonshot, you know, everyone's all happy. Uh, but it really isn't the old style game of baseball because it doesn't fit TV. Sure. Let, let, let me put it this way it's not a bad day at the park when it's a 2 nothing game, it's a bad day of TV exactly. when it's a 2 nothing game. When you're at the park and there's some great defensive plays, it's fun, it's exciting. There's something about TV and baseball that don't go together. I think the best thing is the the defensive play. We remember last season, uh, Mike Trout had a fantastic running catch right in front of the wall when he covered almost seen the entire center field. Right. Those plays are great. But there aren't as many players that can make those plays. There aren't Mike Trout is not growing on trees. He's a fantastic player. Right. And after the lockout in the 90s, it was the home run race between Bond, uh, McGuire and Sosa and later Barry Bonds that kind of reinvigorated baseball. So, But here's the thing. Baseball disagrees with you, apparently. Baseball doesn't want steroids in. So far that they're, A, going out of their way to, to suspend people, and B, keeping out all those players that you talk about out of the Hall of Fame. I guess I should re-clarify. I don't think cheating is ever a good thing. Mm-hmm. I don't endorse cheating. But I think that it does help the viewing product. And there's kind of something to say about, well, we shouldn't have guys that do steroids in the Hall of Fame. And and on a principle, I agree. But what are you going to do with Barry Bonds? But but let's go back to when people were going crazy for that season. And by the way, I was one of the guys who was. I thought it was so much fun. But would we if we knew those guys were on steroids? I mean, I think the, the fact of the matter is is that they were being treated as clean. We were thinking of them as clean. And if you get into a a steroid game, you're kind of heading towards a WWE type thing where you're more interested in storyline than you are sport. There's something to be said about that, obviously. I mean, it is difficult, but there are so many guys that cheated. There are so many people right. that did things that we don't even know about. And remember, when Sammy Sosa got caught with the corked bat... People were in outrage for about a week. And then, eh, we love Sammy Sosa again. And what's bigger cheating than a cork bat? I mean, literally, his bat exploded and pieces of metal shot onto the field. I think the difference is a cork bat is somewhat traditional. It's old school. <laughs> Scuffing a baseball or adding goo to it is somewhat traditional. Just in the way of, you know, is throwing at a batter cheating and yet we expect a certain amount of that we expect a certain amount of plunking when let's face it it is easier to pitch when the person up at bat is afraid to take one in the jaw (laughs) that was was definitely part of pedro martinez's mantra if he didn't like you he made it very well known randy johnson actually made a uh, a pigeon explode when he 
pick. So there's right. there's something to be said about that. I do like a mean pitcher. I like a cruel pitcher. I like a pitcher who doesn't put up with shit and is willing to make people pay for home runs. That's his plate. But I, I it may be because I was kind of raised watching that. Where the steroid thing... The, the steroid thing is is the first time that what happened to football happened to baseball where we can't judge errors against each other. Because you can't sit around and say, who's a better quarterback? Because the game has changed so much. We always had that in baseball, and now we don't have it anymore. It's gone. But even in baseball, there were some differences. Like, for instance, Babe Ruth didn't play against any black or Hispanic players. And he was black. <laughs> and <laughs> and the other things, but the ballparks were different. The ballparks now are much smaller. I mean, having to hit it out of City Field was a chore for guys like David Wright for the Mets. Right, but now you also have... Uh, relievers where they used to just wait till somebody got ragged and then <laughs> fucking true. ripped the couple off them. The game, yeah, you couldn't specifically go against it, but here's the thing. You could have taken Pete Rose, put him in the 1920s, and he would have been able to play the game of baseball. Uh, or you could have taken Lou Gehrig, put him in the 1960s, and he would have been able to play. If you had this time machine, and the only thing that you wanted to do with it is measure baseball, baseball players players against <laughs> each other. And that was your sole purpose. Because there would be no other use for but it. But you obviously. can't really do that with football. You know what I mean? You could not. There was a lot of great football players who would not have been in the kind of shape that you need to play <laughs> football these days. Um, let's go over to Drew in Louisiana. You're on the run of Fed show. Hey, Ron, uh, you know, living in Louisiana and, you know, being an LSU fan, you know, we're huge college baseball fans down here. But what people don't realize is college baseball is pretty pathetic. And none of these guys are getting drafted. And all these guys down here want to send their kids into travel ball and spend all this money when it's supposed to be a backyard game. Well, it's certainly supposed to be a Sandlot game, um, and the chances of your kid making it are a real long shot. Um, not that it doesn't happen. Uh, you look at a guy like Crocky, he grew up playing on some kind of four-on-four four league. <laughs> there wasn't even enough ball players in his small town to field two teams, and yet he made it. All because whatever that hand-eye coordination, he has it. Um, it's a it's a freak thing to be a ball player. Baseball is one of those sports where it's almost kind of you're more born with it than others. You can you, you can't teach a guy like Doc Gooden that throws 98 miles an hour. You can't teach a guy like Java Chamberlain who before he got hurt was throwing 100 with a slider at 92 and striking everyone out. It is it is difficult. There are things in that game, but the weird thing is when you actually get the opportunity to talk to some of those guys they work down into quarter inches you know what i mean like they understand the level uh, a level of the game that we think we might know but we know nothing with hanging around real ball players and coaches it's minutia that they work on in that game it's really really and like you'll watch a guy who'll go like uh he's decided to move his pitch over an inch or two 
where most of us, if we could just hit the strike zone, we feel like we're a pretty damn good pitcher. All they ask you in Little League is just get it over. It's amazing how last night in the uh, Rangers-Red Sox game, it was a blowout by the Red Sox. David Murphy, the, he's an outfielder for the Rangers, he came on a pitch, and he was throwing like 79, and for the, everyone else, that would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. But for Major League players, 79 is terrible, right? You couldn't pick nine innings at 79 miles an hour. You wouldn't have a chance. Um, here's our buddy Arch. Arch, how you doing, pal? You know, the things that stand out are those defensive plays that steal a hit, the guy steals a home run. I, I remember those more than I do the big hits. I, I, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of defensive play as well. Uh, a lot of my favorite ball players of all time were more defense than offense. Um, then, then watching Dwight Gooden when he used to pitch. We used to watch Dwight Gooden and leave to go to the bathroom when the Mets were up hitting. You just watch the guy pitch, and it was amazing. Uh, it looks like we're going to get Dwight in a couple of minutes. Nice. Um, he's got his book out called Doc, uh, which is pretty goddamn interesting. When you see a guy who's at the top of his game and also the lowest place he could possibly be. But I will tell you this, a sweet, sweet man. There's no one who doesn't root for Doc Gooden. And he's sober now, and he's honestly a guy that I I, I want to see. Uh, stay sober. Um, Otto, you're on the Run of Fez show. Uh, yeah, hey, um, I want to add on to something you said, Ron, about defensive baseball, and I like it. And you're right, baseball is better live, it's worse on television, which I think is the opposite of football. But the good thing about a defensive game, I went to one, the game Cliff Lee pitched at Fenway last week, two and a half hours. The, the Red Sox lost. And I'm okay with that because the game was over in two and a half hours. And it was a beautiful night. I was stuck there for three and a half hours. And it was a really crisply played game. But TV hates that. Um, and, uh, yeah, they do hate it. And, you know, one a home run every now and then is good. But, you know, the, the way the Red Sox play among the Red Sox Yankees play among the longest games in baseball. And it, it, it's killing the game. You know, Ortiz steps out after every pitch. Some of these pitchers take forever between pitches. You know, the constant pitching changes at the end. The game is really hurting, I think, from from the length of it. I call it the nomarization of the game. We all remember Nomar Garcia-Parra. Nomar! (laughs) Nomar, right? (laughs) He was always stepping out of the box, flipping his batting gloves, fixing his helmet, kicking dirt out of his shoes. That is what kills the game. The SEC a couple years ago in college baseball was kicking around a pitch clock, which might help, but... It's hard when you have a guy that's pitched his entire career with unlimited amount of time to put 30 seconds on him. Um, all right, Doc coming up in just a couple of minutes. Adam Duritz uh, was just on with us. We're going to give out signed August and everything after in just a few minutes. That's out Counting Crows. At Counting Crows. Um, Shreka Love said that you and her have a lot in common. Counting Crows is your favorite live band. It's her favorite live band, too. Wow, weird. You guys would have been perfect for each other, but you're in a somewhat of a relationship, right? No, I'm in a very serious relationship. With Baby? With my lovely girlfriend of seven years. She's only seven years old? (laughs) That makes me sound like a pedophile. (laughs) That's a pretty long time, seven years. That's, That's pretty committed. Yes, that's why I said a committed relationship. Bah. 
Hey, I'm just backing you up. Right? It seems like you don't get along with the, these folks. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I did to you today, but you know, it's the last time I grabbed your back. Oh! <laughs> I don't need to grab my back. Bob. Oh shit! She can go straight to hell. Bob's coming on fucking strong. I like him. I'm gonna call him Brass Balls Bob. Oh yeah, can't wait. That'll be my Twitter handle here pretty soon. Yeah. Um, Perfect. George, you're on the Ron Feb show. Hey, what's up, Ronnie B. and Royce? Um, hey, I just want to throw something at you, because I remember during this whole time, you know, it was a battle between McGuire and Sosa. Who was going to win? Every single game, the nation was on its toes. But, however, the same sports writers that were promoting these guys, the next year when Barry Bonds aimed for the crown, it seemed like then they actually questioned steroids. Now, it's been known that Barry Bonds wasn't actually traditionally liked by the media. It just, to me, honestly, being Hispanic, it seems to me everyone was okay when Mark McGuire was the leader of the home run hitter with steroids. But when someone else challenged the throne, that's when everyone threw up in arms about it. I don't think that's fair. I and mean, people like Sammy Sosa a lot. A lot of people love Sammy Sosa. People didn't like Barry Bonds because he's not likable. And he had some weird, unique things, like his head grew. And uh, when you're cheating, and your head grows, and your hand grows, and your body gets morbidly weird, more unusual than normal, people don't tend to like that. I do well, think I agree that there was that a huge fallout from the media who went from over-idolizing these guys to, you know, having lit torches chasing them. I don't think it necessary, was necessary to do either one of those. Plus, I like a pitcher's duel. That's why I'm willing, I'm, but I'll tell you right now. And you, you, you know, you brought up Doc. Arch brought up Doc. I'll fucking rip his tits off if he wants to set up. Right. You know, let's set up a fucking mound in here now. Give me a bat, <laughs> okay. and I will take this motherfucker yard. Don't know how it's gonna work. Thirty-six floors up. If he's afraid, just have him come in here. Say I'm afraid, <laughs> and I'll drop the whole thing. I'll run it by him. I gotta find a bat. That could be tough. Thirty-six floors up. That will really help me, you know, fucking go long on him, though. <laughs> Fez is about to give out the signed August and everything after, uh, which is signed by Adam Duritz. Uh Coming up in a couple of minutes, we're going to have uh, Doc Gooden on, and then I guess Mike Zito is stopping in today. Mike Zito's going to stop by. Yep. What's he promoting? His he's, blues album. He's got uh, going new, to Texas. Yeah, he's got a new album out, and uh, he's got some shows here in NYC. Where at? And he's uh, the Poussin Rouge tomorrow night. Oh, I know that place. Yeah. And he'll have his axe with him. Is he going to? Mm-hmm. All right. Then I'll bring mine. Um. Clint, you're on the Run of Fez show. Uh, hi, I was going to say with uh, Mark McGuire, everybody uh, you know wants to say he's a big home run hitter just because of the steroids. But uh, you know, when the kid came into the league, he was uh, you know almost two thirty five, two forty, and he hit forty nine home runs as a rookie. And uh, the year he did that, I mean, forty nine home runs was uh, a monster deal. And that was all pre, you know, obviously pre steroids. That's true, but he also got bigger as he got older. He had Andrew in his locker a couple times, which was legal at the time, now a banned substance. And then he had that whole Congress, I'm not going to talk about the past, which might have been the worst PR move of all time. 
I think the Congress even getting involved was fucking ridiculous. Baseball should have taken care of themselves. That's a fair point. I ran into the devil. Fuzzy, go ahead and give out your prize. Uh, the winner of the I have my fingers crossed for this. <laughs> The signed August and Everything After CD signed by Adam Duritz, Counting Crows, goes to Rob... Shrek, love. Oh, Rob who? Uh, uh, Rob oh, Evitas no. on Twitter. Oh, they're all on Twitter. Is he a crow head like Shrek love? She loves... Uh, what did Rob say? That was so great. Rob said, love the interview Adam gave on Ron and Fez just now. Longtime fan since August and everything else. Can't wait to hear the new album. Oh, God. That? Betrecker? I feel bad. She's got to turn the affection up. Maybe we can get her a Doc Gooden signed ball or something. I think she's a big Mets fan. <laughs> Who isn't? They're awesome. Let's go Mets go. I like to yell out. <laughs> Mr. Matt, greatest, greatest. I have good word that <laughs> coming to be the new Mr. Matt is going to be Tim Tebow. Ooh, kill shot. Do we got any music to bring Doc in to? Yeah. How about Doctor My Eyes, Jackson Brown? Doctor My Eyes. He did it. Is there a song called like Doctor K or Great Strikeout Doc or? There is a song. You're a goodin. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. K. <laughs> Dr. He did play a song called Dr. K back in the 80s. You're fucking shitting me. Uh-uh. I'm, I'm, this is Mellow Mel and Mr. Gooden. Oh, Dr. I would K. never give this guy... Uh, his name is Bradley Coleman, where he just asks Adam for a, a signed copy of August and everything after. Oh, no. That's not a fucking first responder. <laughs> that's a first dick. Well, that's too far. <laughs> Borderline last responder. Yeah. Man, we're going to have to retell these people to even be a proper first responder. I feel bad Shrek didn't love the win, though, because I know she loves that band. It's kind of self explanatory as a first responder, though, right? Um, You would think. All right, Al Dukes just made. Um, Deadspin for spilling a uh, can of piss. <laughs> Did he drink it? Um, yeah, I guess he spilled it in his fucking mouth. <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> if Al did something, it's always a work, though. I was hoping it was real urine. No, I'm sure it was fucking lemonade. How do you spill it into your mouth? That's his thing. He's a piss drinker. All right. Uh, we're going to go to Doc Gooden with his song, Dr. K. He's got a book out called Doc. Pick it up if you can. Uh, the man who lit up in New York like only a few people have ever pulled this up where the entire city is crazy about him, where they actually own the town. And Dwight Gooden is one of those guys. Um Doc is the book. Let's bring in Dwight Gooden.
you remember going through similar situations and I always had like you mentioned I always had the support there from not only my teammates but other guys I played against as well as the fans and different organizations as well and that really means a lot because that means they care more about me as a person than a baseball player absolutely um, you're a great ball player but you're also a really good guy some of the stuff that you got caught up with had to do with being young and some of the stuff is that people with addictions just have to go through certain things before they come out and for me it's always like if somebody uh, has an allergy, you try to explain that to somebody who doesn't have an allergy, like hay fever. I can't understand hay fever. I totally get addictions. Right. Um, but what do you say to people when you try to explain that the mentality that has you lock yourself in your own room when your family's out there and just be alone with your addictions? How do you explain that kind of behavior to people? The main thing you try to tell them, when you go into a situation like that, when you're active in your addiction, you're not the person that you really are. Mm -hmm. You become something else. That, that is not the person that you know. I mean, because you would do things that you know you normally wouldn't do if you're sober. Right. But once you put the drug in your system, you become something that you're really not. And, and it's a fantasy thing. It's a false, you know, um, it's a false illusion who you think you are, but you're not. And so I would say to somebody, if you have a family member or a friend or someone you may love, and they go through that thing and they active in addiction, obviously try to get them help and try to be there and support them because that's not the person that they want right. to be and that's not the person that you know. And yet somewhere inside you, even when you're an addict, that person inside you that still loves your family is in there. Yes. Uh, but you brought up that even fights can take place so you don't have to see those people. You don't have to get the addiction near them. Yes, you know? that's the main thing you try to do. And unfortunately... And, and as you mentioned, even though you're going through your addiction, the love you have for your family and your kids is still there. The way I dealt with that when I was active in my addiction, instead of um, doing something and getting help about my problem, I was in denial that I had a problem. But at the same time, I didn't want my kids, my first wife, my mother to see me like that. So I would like pick a fight or I'll go away in a hotel for two or three days because I didn't want them to see me in that condition. Mm -hmm. And also, those were the people that were going to call you on it, and it's the last thing you want to be at the time. Now, a lot of people have taken shots at uh, celebrity rehab over the years, but that was a very big help for you. It's a big help for me, and I don't think it's fair to Dr. Drew and his staff what they mm -hmm. do, because I was there. I saw the work they put in. You know, it's no perfect rehab um, institution. Um, what you put into these treatment centers is what you're going to get out, and if you're not ready, you're not going to get it. And uh, the treatment center I went to before slavery rehab, the help was there. They gave me the tools to use, but I was still in denial. I wasn't ready to get clean. Um, when I went to slavery rehab, I was in a situation in my life where I was willing to do whatever they told me to do to get better. I was ready to surrender everything, change my lifestyle completely, and make the adjustments I got to make, and do the proper things when I get out. Because that's when the true test comes, when you leave the rehab, yeah. to, to get better and stay better. And so for me... They gave me some tools to use, and also they tapped in some situations where I never dealt with before, where um, one was I talked about the shame and guilt that I had with my family where I was missing school activities, I was missing birthday parties. Dr. Drew told me, he goes, if you continue to beat yourself up with that, what you're really doing is setting yourself up to use. It's premeditated for you to use, so you feel bad about yourself. Now you use, you medicate yourself. The, thing, the other thing was, <clears throat> I'm sorry, uh, beating myself up over... Wondering what people going to think of me, mm -hmm. you know, what is, how people look at me now. So I got to a place where I got to do this for myself. I have a problem. I got to get better with it. And 
one of the deepest things I can relate with was watching my sister get shot. As is, I talk about it in a book, mm-hmm. when I was five years old, watching my sister get shot, and I got my nephew, and we hid in the tub in the bathroom. It was weird how Dr. Drew talked about tr- any trauma in my life, and he pulled that up, where any time I was using it high, I always go to a bathroom. Because I thought it was like a safe place where you go right. get high. So I put those two together. And with my kids, two major points I had to deal with and eliminate the shame and guilt. And now I'm in a situation to do what they told me to do, use the tools wherever I'm feeling good or feeling bad. I let somebody know because sometimes that phone can wear 100, you know, 100 pounds. You don't want to pick it up because right. you don't even know what they're going to tell you on the end. So doing that, having a sponsor, going to meetings. Stand in contact with my support group. Those are things I do on a daily basis. Uh, and you said Bob, who works with Dr. Drew, was very, very helpful to Bob you. Forrest is great. We talk almost on a daily basis. He's Still? A good friend. Still. Yeah, he's a good friend. I think he's one of the most amazing guys I've ever seen on TV when it comes to addiction. He seems like he's always got the right thing to say the fact that here he is still staying in touch with you so long after the show is off the air that means everything to me oh definitely that means a lot because I've, I've been to treatment centers where once you leave they we gave you the tools you're on your own right there's no con- no con- connection there's no you know, cell phone numbers no emergency numbers that's it but bob forrest he's lived that life he's in recovery he knows what it's like, and for him to take the time, and he calls me my stuff. He say, "I haven't heard from you in a while. I don't, yeah. want, I don't want to text. I want to hear your voice, stuff like that. That means a lot when somebody calls you on your stuff, and he really do care." It's very smart too not to do the text because that's a great hiding. Oh, All is good. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, no God knows what's going on. Uh-huh. But you know, the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand in your addiction, you can get very close to the other people that you're addicted with, and that's why I think a great thing in kind of uh, bringing yourself back is to be close with ex-addicts. Definitely. You know, because those are the same guys that know what you're going through before. You know, a lot of times people say, oh, those guys that you're hanging around with, they're scum. But they don't they don't know that you share this thing together, you That's know? True. Yeah, they don't, they're not aware of that. And, and you're right. People always say, well, why are you hanging around these people? Right. Well, these people got something I want. I, I want to live their life. Right. I want to be clean like them. These people got, you know, 10 years clean. I want to know how they're doing it. And this is my support group. But they always look at you. Now you should hang with these or just drink or just don't. Right. I've tried all that. It doesn't work. I have to be around these people who are clean and sober and to teach me how to do it on a daily basis. And there's uh, an incredible amount of wisdom in people that have gone out too far and then come back. Um, There's an acceptance with them. You bring up a guy who sponsored you, who I've seen around the station here a lot, uh, who I think is terrific, is Jerry Cooney. Jerry Cooney is a very big part of your sobriety. Big part. And Jerry Cooney, I tell you, he's amazing. And the first time I actually talked with Jerry was in 1995. I was suspended from baseball. Um, for being, you know, for drug yeah. use. Um, when I started getting my life back together, I actually got this radio talk show down in Tampa. It was called House Call with Doc. Mm-hmm. I called Jerry up one day, and we're talking. He was in recovery at that time. We started talking about recovery, and it turned into just a regular conversation about recovery. Unfortunately, I went back out and had relapse. Right. He stayed clean. Then in 2011, March 2011, I went to a meeting in New Jersey, and it just turned out he's the guest speaker. After the meeting, we sat there and talked for maybe two hours, and he became my sponsor, and things have been great ever since. This time has really stuck for you, and it's because you're working it on a daily basis. I'm working on a daily basis where I always tell people before, I was always around recovery. I was Mm -hmm. never in recovery. You're either in it or you're not. And So now I'm doing whatever Jerry suggests to me, whether I agree with it or not, because I got to get it this time. I don't have to 
it's no more errors for myself because I truly feel like I've been to jail, I've been to prison, mm-hmm. I've been to rehabs. Only thing I haven't done is been in a cemetery, and that's right around the corner if I don't get it right. Do you do the twelve step work where you're there for other people now, or? Yeah, I do twelve step work. Uh, it's, it's very important. Um, I get a lot of a lot of support out of you know telling my story at schools. Yeah. Um, penitentiaries, correction centers for the youth, and going to rehab to share my story. And if someone, you know, having a tough time, being there for them. It's very painful, though, on this side of it, when you see other people having trouble grip, isn't it? Like, yeah. it's so tough to see people that you want to make it, and then they fall back out again. It's very tough. Like, yeah. you, you understand the part where they might be going through, but it's sure. tough because... I know what it was like for me when I was going through the tough times and when you have a relapse. Because when you had a relapse and you've had some time, that's the hardest thing to overcome because you're beating yourself up. You feel like crap. Now you got to start all over. So when you see anybody go through that, I can relate how it was for me when they're going through it. And you feel yeah. awful for that person. Um, baseball still in your life, Doc? Baseball still in my life. I'm a huge baseball fan. Yeah. Um, I have the MLB package where I get all the games. Yeah. Um, I help coach my eight-year-old son's baseball team when I get a chance. I um I follow I'm still a Met at heart, even though I root for the Yankees as well. Yeah. But I, I go home and I watch baseball till one in the morning most of the time. You and my pop will get along together because he's he's got the full package. He's a Phillies guy, but he's in any single game that he is. But it is an amazing sport, isn't it? Even after all these years, oh, it is. It just is. the way uh, uh, you know when summer comes, it just, there's just always a ball game it's always going a ball on. Game. It's fantastic. The great thing about this book is you get a lot of baseball, and you also get a lot of recovery. Uh, Doc, how much of it had to do with so much pressure being on you when you were a kid? I remember when you went back to Tampa during the off-seasons, and kind of seemed like because you went back to the old neighborhood with some money, it almost seemed like the police were waiting for you. Yeah, that's day. what happened in 86. Yeah. It was a situation where it was a build-up. Um, I was getting harassed by the police since my rookie year, where they would follow me, they will pull me over, see my license, they rum attack. Just constantly doing it because at that time you're driving fancy cars. Right. You know, I'm a young kid, and during the day when I'm at home, most of my friends are either still in high school or they're working. And I'm just riding around town, probably trying to pick up women or whatever. Right. And I would go back to some of the rough areas or, you know, projects because that's where my friends were. Not at that time when I was doing anything wrong, but I was constantly getting harassed. Then come the time in 86 where basically a situation where, you know, you just get tired of, you know, you only take so much, even though it's the law. Where I was with my nephew Gary and a couple other friends. It's about five of us, and everybody's driving their own individual car. All the cars are fancy. We get pulled over. Well, I actually put the lights on Gary's car. He had these big speakers in the back of his Corvette, so he couldn't see the lights. And they get behind me, pull me over. As I pull over, then other cars see me. I'm pulled over, so they all pull over. As a cop getting out of his car, now cop cars just start shooting in. Where I went wrong was when the cop was talking to me, got me out of the car and was talking, and then I said, you know, why you guys keep harassing me? You know, this is messed up. You know, you guys are right. You know who I am. He said, send on the road. You're going to jail. Like I said, I can say what I want. He said, I said, put your hands behind your back. And so when he went for his cuffs, where I made the mistake was I grabbed his hand. It wasn't to grab his hand to try to fight him, but I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa let's let's talk. But to the other cops, I could see them saying, why well, I grab his hand? They all rushed in and attacked. But once they got me down and they got the shackles on me, they got my hands cuffed on my back. I mean, they hit me with the light sticks, hit me with the flashlights. They got the choker hold on me. I mean, that was overdoing it, obviously. Sure. And luckily, I had a couple witnesses there that saw everything that was going on. So now something just came across me to 
to tell me to play like I'm out because I, I, I probably would have died that night. So I played like I was out, and they had to get each other off. I mean, I was fighting each other to get each other off me. They throw me in a police car. They take me about two or three miles up the road at some dog track. They get me out of the car. They sit me on the, on the pavement where I'm leaning up against the car. Now they bring the paramedics. When they put me in the paramedics, they, took, they put two black cops in the paramedics with me, so they take me to the hospital. But then when we go to court, I beat them in a lawsuit. But by doing that, still to the day, sad as it may sound, when I go to Tampa, I'm still a marked man. Hmm. Um, when I went to prison in 06, I had a warden tell me, when you go back to Tampa, he said, I will never testify or say anything like this, but when you go back to Tampa, be careful, they still want you. And it's sad, but um, and it's true. And, and at the same time, I know it's not... All the cops in Tampa are not bad, I know, right. but you just don't know who is and who not. So when I do go to Tampa to visit my family, am I uncomfortable? Sure I am. Still, after all these years, it's an amazing thing. Yes. And no matter what, you know, you would think so many times it's local boy makes good, but it's, you know, you forget Tampa is the South, and yeah. that still has that mentality of we keep this as a resort town by keeping those black kids in the black neighborhoods yeah. and not letting them uh, kind of shine too much, you know? Yeah, it, and it, it happens, and then to, to what you're saying, it happened like during that time, it was. Um, with the black players, and also it was the white athletes also was getting in trouble. Mm -hmm. But there's always athletes, whether it's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at that time, players, and it was just a tough time. And it, any reason you think that is, though? It just Part of me want to believe that it was maybe a guy in high school that didn't make the team and mm -hmm. became a cop and just has his chip on his shoulder. Another part is that stinks of just some bad people. I mean, and it's sad because you got good and bad in all walks of life. Right. Mm -hmm. But to this day, Doc Gooden, afraid to go back to his hometown, still yeah. uh, gets harassed there. Amazing. Well, the book is filled with memories, just the highest highs uh, and the lowest lows, and some of them appear on the same page. Uh, Doc missed the, because of his addiction, missed the parade of the 86 Mets. That's just heartbreaking stuff to read. That's, that's tough uh, for myself because I don't get to redo that. Yeah. I don't get to redo that. And that was a tough one to swallow. That was a tough pill to swallow. And it took years and years of me beating myself up over that and hard to forgive myself for that. Um, at times, it's still cross my mind about it, but I, I don't dwell on it anymore. I don't let it affect me as much anymore. I've been able to forgive myself for that one, but that was a tough one because what's supposed to have been the highlight of my career, the best time of my baseball career, I mean, we just won the World Series and three hours later, it became the worst day of my life. You know, yeah. you let the addiction, because the cocaine at that time hadn't took over my life where it became the number one thing, number one priority in my life at that point. Sad to say, but it's true. Um, my, my goal was, I, I obviously after the game was over, I called my dad, talked about the game, told him I won the game, and then after that I called my dealer, told him I was coming by. My goal was to go there, get some drugs, part of the bit, and then go meet my teammates at a local bar. Unfortunately, I never left the left the projects to go to meet my teammates, you know, sitting there, you partying all night with people you don't know. Now, suddenly, I mean, the clock is turning like you've never seen before. Now the sun's getting ready to come up. I'm sure I look like crap. You're still partying. Now the parade's getting ready to start, and at that point, when you see the parade start and you see your teammates on the floats and the confetti's flying, the high just disappears. Sure. And, and now the depression comes in. Every negative thought I could possibly think of comes in. The self-pity comes in. The poor me, everything. So now I'm driving home to my apartment, just bawling out of my eyes from the guilt and the shame and the embarrassment, letting myself down, letting the teammates down, letting my fans down. 
have a family down. Then you go to the apartment, close the blinds, and just isolate from the world for a day. And at that point, to be honest, you didn't. I didn't care if I lived or died at that moment because I didn't know how I was going to deal with that, what was going on, instead of just saying, I need help. But I still was in denial that I needed help, even after that. It's amazing because you think of how much of the, that time so many people had admiration for Doc Gooden because of his pitching and what he was able to achieve. But at no time, I think, in your life have you done something I admire more than what you're doing right now, Doc, and that's being out there, helping people heal and being part of this. Uh, the book, if you're a baseball fan, you want to read it, but if you're looking towards recovery or need recovery in your family, there's so many great examples in here. Doc by Dwight Gooden. Great to see you, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, I'll see you next time. Yes, Give sir. all my best to uh, Jerry Cooney and Bob Forrest, too. I think he's great. Yes, see you next time. You're enjoying the Ron and Fez show on Sirius XM's Opie Anthony channel. More in moments. If you're looking for a Sirius XM radio or you need a part or a specialty accessory for your radio, do not call our customer service line. Don't bother. Don't deal with that. Go to TSS Radio. TSSRadio.com or call them 312-846-6606. They have all the parts, all the accessories, all the radios you'll need for your Sirius XM subscription. They've got power cords, receivers, boom boxes, antennas, everything. It's a specialty store for Sirius XM satellite radio subscribers. They also carry the exclusive products like the satellite radio motorcycle kits. Perfect time to order anything you need for your SiriusXM setup right now during their fifth annual garage sale. That's happening right now at TSSRadio.com. Great deals on radios, power adapters, antennas, boomboxes, kits. You can get the refurbished XMP3 portables or the brand new Sirius Starmate 8S. $5 car antennas, all from TSS radios. You can get replacement radios there and do it now during their fifth annual garage sale. The garage sale ends this Friday. That's June 7th. Be sure to reach out or call tssradio.com or call 312-846-6606. That's 312-846-6606. Ours of the day, Pixies. Favorite band of Chris Stanley and Adam Duritz together. We have that connection. And being such a huge fan, that makes me so happy. Next time I see them live, I'm just going to scream Pixies at them. <laughs> Member! <laughs> Pixies! Yeah! 
You know, it's stuff that Adam was saying, like, oh, you have more chances to make music, and, you know, it's better, but fucking hard to be out there if you're, you know, just slugging it out every fucking night. The road's fucking hard, my friend. Tenacious D taught us that. The road is hard. They know. They work it. Chris Stanley loves his pixies. Yeah. You probably caught a pixie stick by them. That's fine. Pixie sticks are delicious. Everybody likes a pixie stick. Yeah, with eight. <laughs> I think now if I took a pixie stick, I'd have a stroke. <laughs> just having that zip, that same soury thing. Mm, Little damn. kids just can eat the shit out of sour, but I'm sure that would fucking destroy me. <laughs> Little blue pixie stick. Delicious. Green, purple, every fucking ugh, color you can think of. Waiting for our buddy Mike Zito to come in. Let's bring him in. One step at a time. That's Mike Zito on the wheel, gone to Texas. Mike Zito, how you doing, buddy? It's good I'm to see you again. I'm doing good. How are you doing? Uh, this album comes out June 11th, and you're playing here in uh, New York City tonight. Tonight, that's right. Tonight at La Poisson Rouge. That is like the new hip thing that everybody's into now. Isn't it? And, yeah. and apparently, like, New Orleans is kind of, like, taking over somewhere in the city here. It has. It has <clears> because, <throat> you know, this city is a melting pot. And a lot of people from the south have come here, done very well for themselves. Yeah, no, they It's welcoming. Yeah. 
Actually, it's funny, too. I mean, I do a lot of New Orleans festivals and, and around the country. That's like a style now. You know, it's like a they have a New Orleans festival. Right. Uh, but a lot of north, a lot of people from the Northeast, they all come down to New Orleans throughout the year. They come to Jazz Fest. Oh, absolutely. Right. I think New Orleans and New York are kind of sister cities. And then the other uh, thing is Paris. It's Paris. Yeah. That people from Paris come to here a lot, and people from Paris go to New Orleans a lot. Yeah, I think so. Now, you are going to Texas, as you tell us. <laughs> I gotta go. I'm seeing ya. <laughs> Take care. All right. So, I knew you were going to give me a little shit about that. <laughs> what is that all about? What is about all you right, well, Texas? So, I live in Texas. Yeah. Uh, that's where I've been living for 10 years. This is where my wife's from. But, uh, I read some Texas history. They have a very amazing history. Yes, and they conquered Mexico and then stole their property. Absolutely. Yeah. They have this. Uh, some of the history goes. I mean, it's further back than than the the colonies. You know. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's pretty amazing. Anyway, reading Texas history, and uh, you know, I'm always looking for a story and a song. And uh, there was a chapter called "Gone to Texas," and it was all about guys. Uh, in the early 1800s, they would run away. They would leave the colonies. They get in trouble. They get in debt. They murder somebody. They do something, right. and they would haul ass and go to Texas because it wasn't part of the state yet. And they would start over there. Yeah, you could actually go there and be a sheriff yeah. or a governor. You could have murdered a family here <laughs> and then yeah. go over here and be a lawman. Well, remember those old cowboy movies where they would chase someone and then they would just like their horse would go through a stream and then the guys chase them like, ah, shit, he made it through the stream. He got on the ice out of water. There was a sense of fairness <laughs> there that you were like, wow, we have to treat him fair even though he shot another guy dead in a bar. We've now have to treat this fair because it's like some kind of game with them, and it's only only similar to little kids playing on the block, right? Like they made it to the other street, so I can't cross that street. Can't so. do it. This album, you know what it is? It's like musical history that you put well, together. Well, I, I read that story and I thought, all right, a bunch of these guys that did this became really famous, like Travis, and uh, mm. they they died at the Alamo, you know, and a bunch of them got their lives together, and I thought. Well, I, I kind of ran to Texas. I, 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 it's what I did. I ran away to Texas right. from all my problems and shit. And I ended up getting my life together in Texas. And I thought, okay, that's a good... I'm going to write that song. So I wrote the song, and I liked the song so much. I thought, all right, so this is a good idea for... An, I like an album to have a, somewhat of a story, a little mm -hmm. bit something. So I thought, okay, you got that song, story. I got here. I got my life together. There's some songs. But then there's this culture thing down there because we're on the Gulf Coast between... Louisiana and Houston, and it's like got all this swamp pop and country music. And I thought, well, I'll write some songs with that flavor. I brought in Delbert McClinton, Sonny Landreth, some other musician, you know, to kind of bring in and, right. and tell a whole musical story. So, Delbert McClinton, how exciting is that, man? Oh, That's really cool. He's the man. Dude. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, when you, uh, and you've come in here and talked about sobriety before, Doc Gooden was here today. Okay. And it's. We should all get together and form a group. We really could. I like it. I just try to I just try to outdo each other from going there and back. But I was saying this to the doc. I go, oh, it's always my favorite people who have like fucked up really bad. Yes. And now come back to talk about. It. They're always the best. Got the best stories. They got the best stories, and, and I I find that that's what I'm looking for. And I I want to hear the best story. Just how low it could me. possibly get. Yeah. You know, just how far does someone's like you know what i was so low i blew a shark i don't know how it happened <laughs> and those are the best listen as yeah. far 
far as meetings go, oh yeah, those are the best meetings. I mean, where I, where I go, where I live, uh, I mean. It's it's a bunch of people working in refineries. I mean, these are like real people. Uh-huh. You go in and hear some like real shit. Right, sure. And I went to a couple of meetings. My, a friend of mine took me meetings in uh, Sherman Oaks. Mm-hmm. And it, I swear it was the guy like, oh, I didn't get, I was going to go get this part today. And I thought, well, I'll have a beer instead. And next thing mm-hmm. you know, I had four or five beers. And I didn't go in an audition. <laughs> so I didn't get the part. And I was like, are you fucking kidding right. me? Like, I, really? I know a guy with a hook hand. <laughs> <laughs> I know a girl who's, who, who got screwed up and her baby fell headfirst in the toilet and drowned. The, yeah. First of all, I always sit up and listen to You can to laugh, it. Chris. Yeah. That's Look at you. That's it. horrible. You're laughing. Um, but I will always sit up and listen for a woman's story. Like, what? Say it again. You said something about a train. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, some. Like, you know what? How many dudes? We should get the. We should have coffee and discuss yeah. this because you really touched me. Yeah. And really, you know. But it, the, these are great stories. And these are the stories, like, you want to write this kind of music about, too. Right? Well, some of it. I mean, you know, I mean, I. this is probably. I mean, this is the last time I can ever tell this story. Uh, I mean, I. You know, I mean, you, I, I can't. I know. I mean, I, the recovery part of it, the spiritual part of it, is always a part of my music. I can't write every song about, uh, hey, let's right. not do drugs and everything's great. I mean, it has to have something. Could you to write it. a song called "Let's Do Drugs for a While"? <laughs> <laughs> just for a while. Let's do drugs stop. one more time. Yeah, just. No, I would never go back. How there, about the movie you guys talked about the other day? The the documentary, How to Sell Drugs. Or... Yeah, man. Yeah, that's coming out. We're I trying think... to get the, the filmmakers in for that, right? Yeah, yeah for the uh, for the. That's amazing. How to make money selling drugs. How to make money selling drugs, yeah. Really well, first, first rule of thumb, don't be a drug user. And, and yet I've drugs. never met, I've always heard that thing, but I've never met anyone who sold drugs and didn't use them. No, I, I, I knew one dealer that he didn't do the drug he sold. He, did other like he sold a lot of coke, but he would just smoke weed. Isn't that weird? I don't trust anybody like that. I said, this fucking coke is no good. He's like a bunch of coke. Why wouldn't you do this? <laughs> you want to deal with it. You know what? I'm going to sell this to you, but not all of it because I might need some of it. Yeah. I'm getting nervous myself. <laughs> I like the dealer that knows exactly how much is in the freezer. He's got it weighed down, <laughs> yeah. and every 15 minutes he's writing everybody's name down on a piece of paper <laughs> of who's in the room. Right. And he goes back over and weighs it in front of everybody with this 45 out. He goes, look, I'm counting. I'm counting. Well, anyone who worries about <laughs> everyone is doing stuff when they're not in the room, he's the guy to get into your fucking stash. That's, you know, it's like a guy who's always checking for his wallet. He'll steal your wallet. <laughs> so a guy who's like, hey, is this light? He's the one who's waiting for you to take a piss so a key can go into a fucking baggie. <laughs> I'm under your axe right now. I'm pissing with the door open. What? <laughs> Actually, this would be a great title for a song. I'm pissing with the door I'm open. I'm pissing with the door open. I don't trust you. That's funny. This album... This uh, is this is, means a lot to me. You album. you fall in love with this with the, with these songs by the time I, you get I, this. I part. really do. I mean, I really love this album. I got the, the this label that I'm on. This is a new label I'm on. Roof Records. So mm. Ira here is with Roof Records, and they, um, you know, I started producing records a few years ago for other artists. So they let me produce this record myself. So it's the first one I've had on a label where I produced it. I brought in all the musicians I wanted to bring in. We went to the studio. I mean, I I, I did it. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm very proud of it. I mean, the, the part of it was the songs. The other part of it was the band. I, I had the sound in mind when we talked about Delbert McClinton. That that uh, 
this like 70s Texas sound. Right. It's kind of funk and kind of country and kind of blues. And uh, I really had it in mind when I brought everything in. You know, Boss Gags was in here not too long mm. ago. And so before he came in, he just did this uh, thing, Memphis. He did it like three days. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's great. It's awesome. But I, I went back and listened to that 70s Texas stuff. And you're like, you know, some of that even sounds like he's got disco. I mean, they were just throwing a bunch of shit yeah. together. But at the same time, being totally laid back and relaxed with it. Very laid back. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I agree. He's the coolest. That's a great album, too. That Memphis album is awesome. Yeah, it is. It's really good. Yeah. Well, Steve Jordan, there's something about that guy. He's, he gets a sound. He gets yeah. a sound out of his drums that I can... As soon as I hear drums, I'll know if it's Steve Jordan. Yeah. And then he gets a sound out of the recording, and he's, he's really good at producing. You know? He, uh... Well, when he came in with his band... And he came in and played like you guys did, right? And then the next day he says, look, I'm going to come back in and go over some of it and tweak it a little bit. So I'm like, okay. And like he was back the next day, the day after, and he's treating his really? like a couple yeah. of live songs like he's you know doing an album. So I just kind of peeked my head in to see if the engineers were like pissed at all. They were in heaven, just fucking hanging out with him. With Steve Jordan, yeah, yeah. just hanging out with Steve Jordan and figuring out how to get it just perfect. Yeah, that's but that, awesome. I mean, how many people do that with like just a live thing for a radio station? He just kept coming back. Yeah, well, I mean, he he definitely he definitely has a sound in his head, like he knows what it's supposed to sound like. But he was so it was like one of the craziest <clears throat> things because he's like. Uh, uh, playing bass for me today is going to be like Danny Kuchmar. And I'm like, what? Wow. You know, and I didn't even know that he was in the building. And like most, a lot of those guys, you don't know their name, but they're on like most of the albums. Yeah. From the entire era. And like those guys just hang out, like sometimes do this project or that. And it's weird because now everybody's got a studio in their house. Yeah. That's you know? True. No, They've you're all right. They all these side projects. They all have their own projects and uh, they're all, I mean, it's amazing what you could do now. I know when I was a kid, I would go run a four-track recorder, like in high school, mm -hmm. which was on cassette, and you could record four tracks. Uh, and I mean, but it was very difficult. Yeah, it was tough to pull off, and everything was expensive. Cost fifty bucks to rent it for the weekend, yeah. and for four ninety-nine, I can buy the GarageBand app on my iPad, and yeah. I can I can do exactly what I did, and ten times, ten thousand times better. Well, it's on so the iPad. It's so weird. Um, Rudgren was saying he had his laptop. He's like, this is my studio. Wherever he's at, he's just constantly yeah. making music. But I just think of guys like that that had to always keep learning new skills. You know what I mean? Like yeah. They had to know that analog thing inside and out. You'd think that they would be the first guys to go, like, I don't want to do anything new. I hear you. Well, I'm definitely... I definitely don't want to... Like, I'm not that guy. Like, right. I, I know the gear from working at music stores when I was younger. Like, I know enough about the gear, how it works. That's enough. But I, I want to go to a studio. I want to go to a real... Because it's part of the record. I want to go to a place... Right. Like, where we record in... It, it's called Dockside Studios. It's in Maurice, Louisiana. It's, it's like a... Um, like a plantation like mm -hmm. it's all fenced off there's a river over here they have it's in a big barn the studio is a is a barn right and uh, it's you know it's got this sound they got this neve board this old neve board and i and the other thing is i don't want to do it all i want to bring 
I want everybody to come in and be a part of it because I, I feel like I can't do it all. And I want you to come in and bring your knowledge right. and to make it bigger. And then also, some of those rooms have a spirit to them. Some of those oh, rooms have a absolutely. history, and you're not going to be able to get around that. The no. fact is, and a club can be the same way. You can walk into a club and know whether it's a good place or not. Yeah, exactly. Um and you know the why the whys of that are a mystery, but but you could fucking bet on the fact that that's a true. The statement. room is going to be the next member of the band. I mean, it's going to play right. a big role in tonight's show. You right, know, it's going to add to the to the sound of the band. In the same way, at the studio. I mean, no matter if you write a good song or whatever, when I find out you recorded it in in your bedroom, okay, mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't matter. But when I read the liner notes and they right. went to this studio and they were there right. for 10 days and you know, when the classic records, when you go and read classic albums, none of them were, you know, they they have a great story. They went somewhere special. Do you see that thing on Studio City, the old L.A. place? I did. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's a very strange thing. But, you know, it it. it for places, it, it takes appreciation also. Yeah. Like enough people have to say, this is important, and that's let's right. keep it precious. Yeah, know? that's right. And like the board, the board, and that he made such a big deal. Yeah. Of, like that same console is the console at Dockside Studios where we record at. And he's absolutely correct. It has the sound for the drums right. and for the vocals that, that, that you don't get it at other places. So. Uh, you brought your guitar with you today. I always bring my guitar because the first time I came in, you said that you could come in, Mike Zito, but you have to sing for your supper. Uh, that's what I... <laughs> but, you know, I also... I made Doc Gooden play a tuba, and he was nervous about that. Hey, Mike Zito and the Wheel, uh, that's a new album, Gone to Texas. It comes out Tuesday, June 11th, and playing here in New York City tonight. Tonight is a great show. It's yeah. not just our band. It's with the voice of the Wetlands All-Stars, which is Tab Benoit, Cyril Neville, Johnny Vodakovich. It's, it's a super group out of New Orleans. And Tab, if you know Tab, he raises awareness for the Wetlands. Yeah. Uh, so we're playing with, with them. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I, I like to hear all this stuff. Yeah. This is your life. You should come tonight. I'd like to be there. Tab Benoit is a big fan of your show. Is I keep that right? trying to get him to call in. He's... He's a little shy, more shy than me. Why is he so shy? What's he well, shy he's about? Just, he's very laid back, kind of cool guy. And, mm -hmm. and um, I'm not. What you're saying is I'm not. I'm no, I'm saying sure. I'm not. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you are cool, man. MikeZito.com. What are you going to do for us? Well, I don't know. I was thinking, I mean, I can do the Thumb song. Off the album? Yeah, absolutely, man. I can do the song that I'm hoping gets some radio play or I can give you something. Uh, well, give us, what do you want to get radio play? There's a song there called I Never Knew a Hurricane. All right, let's take a listen, all right? All right. Like Zuda. I never knew a hurricane Could be so cruel It hits you like a freight train Leaves you feeling like a fool When the wind stops blowing and the rain stops falling down When there's an eerie silence, nothing left to make a sound Though losing everything hurts like hell 
There's no pain, baby No pain hurts like losing you I never knew a hurricane Could be so cruel It hits you like a freight train And leaves you feeling like a fool Thank you, thank you. Um, I'm gonna go call the next girlfriend right now. I just feel all bad about myself. Yeah, right. Going to Texas is the brand <laughs> new album, June 11th. It comes out. Uh, check this out at MikeZito.com for tickets and more information. And he's playing tonight. 
in New York City with uh, the voice of the Wetlands All-Stars. That's right. Mike Zito on the wheel and the voice of the Wetlands All-Stars. Big night. Everybody together, just having a great time. Yeah, I mean, it'll be great. It'll be a big jam at the end. It'll... I don't know what happened, but did you notice Fez left during your song? Well, he seemed he seemed like, you know, he got a little emotional. I think he did. He and was I, touched. He got beat up a little bit. I know he's not a big fan of music, and I thought, maybe, is it me? Am I the one that <laughs> he, will he, that make would, him did, waver? Did, did, turn that key? Do I have that in me? brain? Do I have that in me? Yeah. Did I bring emotion to him from music? Or was he like, I gotta pee? I don't know what happened there. But it's a very strange thing to happen during <laughs> a performance. Weird. Right in the middle. This is why it's better to do radio uh, than TV. Because <laughs> if this was a TV show, people would have been like, that's the rudest thing I've ever seen take place. <laughs> Fez, was there any reason that you left? I did start to get a little emotional. I tell, was hearing the lyrics. And... Tell the truth. No, it was, well, I was also texting, but, um... <laughs> what were you texting? Oh, I was just uh, checking in with the eye bang on something. But you leave that. Not, you don't do that during the big... I think that's his withdrawal. Oh, yeah. that what, maybe doing that's the whole it. big musical thing. It's a beautiful song. I love that you were touched by the song. It means a lot. Thank you. touched enough to get up and go text. <laughs> that's <laughs> stunning. But could you imagine, like, if you're watching Letterman and just Letterman got up from the desk... <laughs> Well, I had to go do something else right now. Where'd you go? It would be even better if it was a stand-up comic, where you just get away as he's trying to talk. And then come back. And like, it's very good. It's very good. You did a great job. Yeah, Thank you were you. saying some words and jokes up Thanks there. Thanks for coming in. That thing with the music, good. Yeah, something about a hurricane or something. Something that is, it seemed like it was a metaphor, though. It, it, was, like a it, was, a metaphor. it was metaphorical. Yeah. It is, absolutely. Uh... Here's Kendall in Texas, and that's that place that you're going to, Texas. I I have it's it's gone to say I've gone to gone Texas. to Texas, yeah. not going. No, gone. gone. You're already there. That means I'm there. It's done. I'm see, visiting other areas. See, I actually am. All my shit's there. So bad at English. I'll say like if I was going to Texas, yeah. I'll tell people I'm going to Texas, yeah. and just leave it at that. How would you say it? Thanks. Gone to Texas? Yeah. Gone to Texas. Same way. Yeah, gone to but Texas. But what if you were going to Texas? Going to Texas. Yeah, same, same But that same means same like, way. hey, what are we doing later? Going, going to Texas. Texas. Going to Texas. <laughs> well, you're going you to do? Texas. Yeah, this is like, it's done. Okay. I've went there. This is the past tense for okay. people out there, big music fans. But that's the historical term. Uh, Kendall, in Texas. <laughs> hey, Mike, I'm actually in southeast Texas down in Beaumont. Just had some chicken and sausage gumbo for lunch. Uh, listen, let me. I I went on your tour because it said gone to Texas. So I was wondering when you're going to be playing in Texas, and there's not any Texas tours. Well, first to of all, I live in Nederland. And yeah. have you ever come to see me play when I was in Beaumont? I have. Yeah. Okay. Uh, at uh, what was that? What was the name of that outdoor thing? I played everywhere you can play down there. Yeah, you've played. You've played. But you've played, we'll you've we'll do a Texas run in the fall. We'll do a Texas run. I, I've got the two different bands. We're, the Royal Southern Brotherhood, yeah, that you had in graciously Fantastic. last time. So that band's really taken off. So I'm I'm out with them over the summer, and I'm doing this. So in the fall, we'll come back to definitely come and do a Texas show there. Hopefully Crockett Street or somewhere good. Very good. We're looking forward to it, man. Enjoy nice. your music. Love Thank Royal you. Southern Brotherhood. That's how I got introduced to you through that and Ron and Fez, man. Right on. Thank you. So that that uh, project's going well for you as well. It is. It's actually it's doing really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's taken off, and um, 
last year just kind of I don't you know just kind of blew up and we went with it and uh, it's all on the same record label luckily we're all it's all kind of intertwined so uh, I'm able to put out my record and do some stuff but uh, like next month I'll go to Europe for I don't know four or five weeks with the Brotherhood and, uh, do you know where where in Europe you're going well we start out going to Italy and um, Switzerland and then we we were gonna pretty much all over I mean I think it's mostly festivals Germany Finland Netherlands there's a big festival in Norway called the Notodden mm -hmm. Blues Festival, it's huge. And we, it's a long way from Texas, though. It's a long way from Texas. But let me tell you, man, if I sh they know I'm from Texas. Yeah. They're so weird over there. So, like, if you go to, like, say you got a gig at a club and you get there, and they'll, like, draw Texas. Like, what? before you ever affiliate, like, or if you're from New Orleans, they'll put, they'll draw, like, because they want people to know. Like, we've got a guy from Texas. Right, that's the whole. And so I'll show up and they'll go, where are your boots? You don't right. have boots on, like. <laughs> What the hell is this? We came, we came here because you're from Texas, and you know boots. They're so funny about it. So I, I just embraced it. Yeah, I think I think you ought to go over there, just like the electric horseman. Just be yeah, just shit's just glowing on you. Um, <laughs> here is uh, Mike. Mike, go ahead and say hi to Mike Zito. Hey, Mike Zito, how you doing? Oh, this is Mike Delaney, everybody. Yes, it is. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? How's that mahogany guitar coming along? Is it good? <laughs> it's coming guys, along very nice. I know you're doing a radio oh. show, but can we? We're going to have a conversation here yeah, about our guitar. Yeah, go ahead. Enjoy. Now he yeah. builds guitars. This is Mike Delaney. I've told you about him oh, before. This yeah, is the man yeah, that builds yeah. my guitars in Atlanta, Georgia, for me. Yeah. Because that's of you. Cool. Yeah, that's a, that's the reason I called. I wanted to thank Ron and says because it was because of those two guys that you and I actually met. I'm sorry, um, while you were saying that, Fez got up and left again. Oh, okay. So, I don't know what it was that drove him out of the room. But I don't, I can't think of, I mean, it's one thing to be able to play guitar. And it's one thing to be able to to make something with oh, your it's hands. unbelievable. But to be able to make an instrument, that's just the mind fuck to me. It's amazing. He sends me pictures and it'll be like some old scraps of wood that you found in your father's right. shop. <laughs> And then, like, six months later, there's a piece of art. Yeah, that amazes me, and obviously, just someone that can make a canoe. I just still <laughs> can't wrap my head that you can float around and stay safe, and is, is mind-blowing to me. But the craft of making a, a guitar... Now, if you're making a guitar for, like, Mike Zito, you would make it different than any other yes. guitar? Yeah, we do it to Mike's, what, Mike's specs. Mike's very particular. <laughs> what are you looking so. for, Mike? Something that makes me sound good. <laughs> I, you know, what am I looking for? Honestly, like, uh, I want it to, to, to be the best. I mean, I want it to sound great and play great. The particular kind of wood or the neck size. It's, uh, you know, because it, it becomes a part of it. It becomes a relationship with that instrument. The very first guitar that, he, that Mike Delaney... I bought a guitar from him when we first met. And he said, you know, I can build you anything you want. And I said, okay, this is what I want. I told him exactly what I wanted. And that was, I don't know, two or three years ago. And I have not put that guitar down since. I mean, that's a guitar I have at every show, almost damn near every night. And since then, he's made me several other guitars. Um, and I play them all. But that very first one, I mean, it's the first one he made. It becomes a part of you, by all means. I mean... It's, it's, a real, it's a very personal thing. And... Uh, 
Like I said, that's the reason I called. I just wanted. I'm to glad you called. I think it's fantastic, yeah. dude. I was I, I I was gonna I I told Ron last time because I showed him the guitar that you know the reason we met is that I was on the show and he. Yeah. Do you know what he actually heard? He heard the. Uh, don't get gay for Christmas. That's oh, right. song. Yeah. I'm sorry. That was a real big one. That I, my, wife, my wife actually called me up. A hit, huh? Brings a lot of people together. <laughs> um, all right, thanks, Mike. Mike, I love you. Thank have you. Have you stopped you down to the shop? Have oh, you? I have, yes. Yeah. And if you get online, DelaneyGuitars.com. It's oh, okay. amazing. All right, thanks, Appreciate bro. You guys. Thank you, Take Mike. Care. Peace. I just find that to be amazing. I don't. I can't understand how it it's, works. It's incredible, and he's real secretive about it too. Like, I'll tell him, like, okay, here's what I want. I got this idea for a guitar. Like, he's got this one right now. I've never seen it. I've been talking about it since last September, and it's this sparkle, amazing looking guitar. But he won't let me see it. Like, he won't let you see it until it's done. And he's made some guitars for some. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He he makes a great guitar for Mac Guitar Murphy. Um, I saw Matt not too long ago. He's doing pretty good. Yeah, he's doing great. I mean, he's older, but, you know, God bless him, man. He's yeah, just one of the greats. Yes, yes. Uh, Bill in Texas, go ahead. Hey, Mike. Uh, Will Castman from 908 Boston, Nederland, Texas. Hey, what's happening? Uh, hey, man, I was wondering, uh, how are you making uh, a bunch of meetings, and how has touring affected your uh, sobriety? Um, well, I try to go, you know, I honestly, I try to go as much as I can when I'm on the road. Uh, it's hard a, to do. Yeah, but, you know, if you've got a computer, you can find out where a meeting is anywhere. You absolutely And can. then the weird thing is, you'll go into some town that you've never been to before, and you walk in a meeting, you fucking know those dudes. You yeah, know exactly. I mean? So I actually, I, lately, because the, the schedule has been so tight, it's harder to. When I would used to tour and I would do, like... I'd be somewhere in, a, in the same area for a week or so. Mm -hmm. I would really try to get out and get them. A lot of times these days, it's it's like next one, next right. one. But the best part is, <clears throat> man, I have all these friends, especially musicians that are that we're we're all in the same right. deal, you know. And uh, everywhere I go, I get people. So like when I go to the show tonight, I guarantee you, a handful of people are going to show up that are in the deal with me. And they're going to cool. show up early, and we're going to talk and hang out. And uh, it's kind of a little mini, you know, a little mini meeting there. They they come around, or I get a call from somebody. But uh, as far as you know, none of it, it. I mean, I'm very fortunate that uh, I'm I'm pretty involved in my in recovery. Uh, still, I mean, I travel with my literature, and I like I said, I stay in contact. But the the touring doesn't necessarily affect doesn't affect me like I think. Hey, he's drinking. All right, give me that. Right. It does affect me. Like I think you're getting on my fucking nerves. I may have to choke you. Right. And then I think oh, I probably need to go to a meeting. Right. Or, or read a book or call somebody. <laughs> I'm getting ready to stick a fork in someone's eye, because they said hello. And but I. It's the way they said hello. They were like, I heard hello. <laughs> you heard more hell than oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Fez left again, so I don't know what you said wrong. Hey, God bless you, brother. What happened? All right. Um. MikeZito.com, the new album, gone to Texas. Uh, Mike Zito and the Wheel, and these are some new boys you're playing with. Well, the, the, they're they're actually guys I've known for years. The drummer's been with me for years. He was here. Uh, he was here a couple times before. Um, but the idea was, I, I, like this guy to play saxophone. His name's Jimmy Carpenter. I've known him for about 15 years, and I saw him playing with bands in D.C. And um, 
every time I saw him, I thought, man, this guy's unbelievable. He's really good, you know? And we got to be friends, and I just always had in the back of my head, like, I need to be in a band with that guy. Like, that's that's a good... And then this drummer, you know, like, he's been playing drums on and off me for years. Like, like that's the drummer. And I saw this bass player play with this guy. You know, it's kind of like that. The guy right. playing piano at B3 was Freddie, uh, uh, Freddie King and Delbert McClinton's piano player. Wow. And I met him on the Delbert McClinton cruise, and I was like, God, that's a bad motherfucker right there. You know, like, he should, I need to have him yeah. be in a musical situation. Same thing with Susan Cowsell. I mean, she's amazing. That's a, such a wild name to pull out, and she sings with you, huh? She sings, not not live on tour. Mm -hmm. There are dates where she'll come out for a festival. But, um, yeah, we just gotten to be really good friends, and uh, she's awesome, man. She's such a good singer, and we sing so well together. So that was the idea. Like, I'm going to bring all these people in. I know this is going to be good shit. Like, these yeah. are great players. and uh, Well, that's the great thing about yeah. being around for a while is you have that aspect of it. You've been around the block. You know who can play. You know who uh, puts music before all the other shit. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And, and, and who... Who's making the music feel good? I mean, all these guys got one thing in common. It's like, it's not about like, hey, watch me how good I am on my instrument. Mm -hmm. It's like, we're going to play together and make the songs sound good. And that, for me, what's fun for me, maybe I'm older, but I'm young. And like, I mean, I haven't had a professional career like this for so long. Mm -hmm. But all these people that we talk about, like, they're my heroes, you know? Sure. And maybe they're not as famous as they used to be. And they're a little more accessible today. Right. And so for a guy like me, I'm like, like I can get near them and talk to them and get to be friends with them. And they see that I'm genuine. And the next thing you know, they're like, well, let's write a song or, hey, I'll come sing on your record. And it's like, holy yeah. shit, really? So it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, but you got to keep that spirit alive in it, too. Absolutely. You know I mean, you got to keep that spirit of here's some of the I mean, to me, some of the names that you've mentioned, it's some of the best people in right? history. So why worry about where they are on the charts today? No, no, little, no, exactly. Little, very little concern for any of that. No, they're, they're still icons. I mean, to be on stage with Cyril Neville every night. Sure. And he gets, you know, he gets in the, the bus with us, and he's riding along. I mean, he's right there, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I'll sometimes, I mean, he's just my friend, and I'll look over and I'm like, holy shit. Right. Like, Cyril Neville is like three feet from me, and he's kicking ass. Like, That's really it's cool. It's amazing, man. you know? And again, that's a that's a great way to go through life. Just what we were saying, you have to make something precious for it to be precious. You have to say this is great work, mm -hmm. and I'm going to honor that work, not honor all the other stuff around it, but just what that person can do. I I find that phenomenal. I agree. I find I agree. that phenomenal. I think the more you love something, the more beautiful it becomes. Mm. That's why I like to see Chris start treating his chick better. What? Chris, you know, what do you mean? Like, you player that song. Stuff. Player that I will. song. I will. Yeah. Do you want me to come to the house with my guitar? Wow. That's, Serenade. That's... <laughs> I think I might offer that. We need to make some money. Maybe on tour I'll offer like, <laughs> and if you like, I'll come back to your house while you make love to your woman. I'll stand next to the bed and sing. Start, start a Kickstarter. Kickstarter. Who wouldn't, who wouldn't want it? <laughs> who wouldn't want that? Uh, it's good to see you, man. Wonderful to see Stop you. Stop in All next time you. and make sure like you got. Plenty of time to stay because I love to hear the stories. MikeZito.com. Mike Zito and the Wheels. New album, Going to Texas, comes out Tuesday. 
June 11th. Can we get you to sign this one here? Absolutely. I brought a few more. I brought one for oh, everybody. Great. Yes, absolutely. That's fantastic. Thank we'll you so much. We'll make sure we give one out. The day that you want them given out. I don't know whether you want them given out before June I'm okay. 11th. Oh, yeah? For you, of course. By all means, right. please. So it will be one of those win them before you can buy them. <laughs> I, I've been around radio enough to know that one. That's always the extra one. Thank you so much, my Thank man. Thank you very much. For Go everything. to MikeZito.com. You get the chance in New York and come see him tonight at La Poussaint, La Poussaint Row. La Poussaint Rouge. Hey, I'm fucking far from that. I was far from I like yours better. Luckily, though, I have it written out phonetically. Oh, no, I don't. Uh, that's tonight with the Wetland All-Stars. That's it for us, guys. Oh, thanks, Adam Duritz, for coming in here today. County Crows out on the road with the Wallflowers. And also Doc Gooden for being in here today. Uh, God bless that guy. I hope he mm -hmm. makes it. I hope he holds up. Uh, and, of course, Mike Zito, my friend. See you again soon. That's it. See you guys back in here tomorrow. Uh, that's the end of my show. Donk. It's the Hopper from Dish Network. You can't live without your Hopper. I'll tell you what, for Father's Day, get Dad all set up with the Hopper system from Dish Network, the best DVR in the business. Here's the things the Hopper does. It records hundreds and hundreds of hours of TV programming. You're never going to miss a show because it's not going to just go ahead and crap one out when it's when the time is up. You're going to be able to save things. Also, you can record all of prime time with just the touch of a button. That way you're getting each and every one of your shows. Plus, here's the best part. You can take television with you anywhere take dish anywhere you want with the hopper because you can now watch your program and live tv on a smartphone tablet or laptop all with the hopper from dish network any room becomes a tv room thanks to the hopper it's the hopper from dish network give dish a call 1-800-WATCH-TV that's 1-800-WATCH-TV watch television wherever you want people laptop smartphone tablet wherever you go your tv goes thanks to the hopper from dish network